Cinemodities Late Night Movies with Ben, Rob, and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. I'm Ben. And that is a big door. Is that... (laughs) Is that quote disappointing? Because I found that to be the funniest quote in both of these movies. <laughs> it's interesting what they carried over from one movie into the other. I, that, that is fascinating. Like that was like one of those things where we need we need the big door. Can we get the big door? Can we can we get Cindy Morgan? No, but can we get the big door? And they're like, yes. I have to say that when in the in the first Tron, when that door is opening and we get that like slow reveal of how many fucking layers it has. In my in my apartment, I was like, "God, that's a big door." And then Jeff Bridges says it, and I'm like, "Well, this this might just be the best movie." <laughs> I the same thing happened to me, Rob. Uh, but one thing I did notice is like the layers like decrease in size as it goes deep, and I was like, "Is this going to get to a point? Like, is this how how deep does this door go? Is it it's, a, it's a spiral its staircase, but like turned on its side?" <laughs> Oh, it is a very big door. So this is Big Door Amodities. We're going to discuss different big doors this episode. <laughs> no, no. Well, of, of course, uh, we are continuing on with the series that Zach has called Movies That Should Have Changed the World. Before we jump into this, uh, I think that Ben and I want to give a special shout out to the beginning of a of a great year, 2021, even though Starship Troopers came out already this year. But we have to say... The floodgates have opened. There is a Patreon subscriber. So there's precedent. I feel like the zero on the patrons count might have turned some people away, but the one when they go to see the website, now they might be like, oh, someone else is doing it. I could do it too. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. I, I, I fully expect this number to double every day until at least the double digits. Absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like three times or something. No, but uh, check out the Cinemodities Patreon. Uh, we're doing things, I think, distinctly different from what we're doing this month with movies that should have changed the world. Um, and it's good fun if you want some more content, for sure. Ben, anything you want to say about the Patreon? Or are you ready I, to uh, jump into Trons? Uh, two or three more subscribers, and I'll be able to quit my day job. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could just uh, <laughs> retire after, you know. <laughs> yeah, we'll just uh, you know pay for all the streaming services and watch movies and talk about them. Yes. <laughs> if you want the three of us to watch Wonder Woman every single day of the year, please subscribe to the Patreon level at the highest tier. Thank you. <laughs> Zach, do you know what the highest tier that we have is? I did look. Once I saw it, there was a Patreon subscriber. I guess, okay, I guess I should know what Rob did like how many months ago. And I looked into it and I know it's like, what, like, is it the God tier or like, I, I forget what it is. It's, it's, it's some ridiculous level, which if you do, like, you deserve all the accolades it provides you. Yes, I know it, it's $200 a month. And I think what we, we called it like your money, your choice tier. <laughs> <laughs> You're essentially in charge of the podcast now. We, yeah, you run the restaurant. We make your wishes come true. It's like, hey, if you want to pay it, we won't stop you. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was mostly a joke that I, that I put into it. Yeah, I was like, hey, Rob, look at these. I did this. <laughs> I, I oh. think the I think the image like all the other images are restaurant themed, but the image for that one is like a bank transfer symbol. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh 
oh yeah oh yeah yeah i mean that's a, that's actually i'm glad we bring up some of this stuff because it's a good pitch if you haven't checked out the patreon because you think we're just shilling for money even though we do want this podcast to pay for itself to some extent go check out the patreon it's actually pretty funny if you know the restaurant shtick okay everybody do it um well with that being said i think for ben uh since he was not here last week at the start of our movies that should have changed the world series that's what we're discussing this month movies that should have changed the world and we're not just talking like you know change the film industry we're talking like you know undid inventions changed time and history as we know it like I think what I say last time, Zach, changed the directions that rivers flow, collapsed governments. Those are the movies we're talking about. I have to throw it over to Zach, though, because in this series, we were originally going to do Valerian and the City of a Thousand City of planets. a Thousand Planets. Yep. I always want to say Valerian Planet of a Thousand Cities because that makes sense. The actual title of the movie doesn't make sense. But Zach cut Just like that. the movie. <laughs> I still have never seen that. Um but I'll put it on the list because I usually watch the things we cut. But Zach took that out for a double feature of Tron and Tron Legacy. Which one of these movies should have changed the world in your opinion, Zach? Was it one of them? Is it both of them? Why, why did this get put in at the last minute over Valerian and the planet of a thousand planet cities? Yes. <laughs> the, the city of a thousand Valerians. Um, <laughs> is it one of those titles we could just replace all the nouns and it still makes sense? <laughs> probably. Like Planets be... Valerian of a Thousand Cities. <laughs> that that movie uh, Valerian's interesting, but like I don't. I, you probably would have hated it, Rob. Like you probably like just the aspects of it you would have enjoyed, but I think overall you would have hated it. It's Luke Besson, right? Yeah, it's Luke Besson, but like there's uh, there's I one like really Fifth good element. I mean. I think everybody likes it's Fifth Element. It's, it's watered down Fifth Element. Okay, okay. And, and Fifth um, Element is watered down or watered up, no, alcoholed up Blade Runner. <laughs> I was going to say Brazil. Ooh, uh, I don't know. I'm Between, not a big fan of Brazil. Watered down Brazil. That's probably yeah, a, neither am I. That's probably a conversation for another day. <laughs> yes. Uh, but no, Tron, as Rob can tell you, Tron and Tron Legacy have been on the spreadsheet, I think, since like the inception date of this podcast. It's something that I've always wanted to discuss. It was originally part of like the like what we did Blade Runner last year. Um, and it got oh, taken yeah. off because like Rob, I, I can't. Uh, yeah, it was like, like we were gonna do what the thirty year later sequel series. Yeah, we were gonna do the it, sequels of their movies and then sequels that came out around thirty years later. And as everybody knows, or the astute listeners know, that got cut into the Ridley Scott revisit series because we ended up yep. doing Blade Runner and Alien. <laughs> yep. And so, yeah, like I don't regret that because at the time I don't know what I could have said about Tron. Uh, but now, like, the reason why we, I decided to pull Valerian and put Tron in its place was I watched Tron Legacy recently. Um, after I, uh, Tron Legacy is one of those movies that I kind of delve into every couple of years. Um, I don't want to jump too far ahead with context, so I'm going to save that because I would kind of I just want to gauge everybody's thoughts are on these movies before I kind of just dis- shovel like years upon years of nostalgia onto everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, at some no, point I, Zach's going to start talking about his history with Tron, and Ben and I are going to be like, "Yeah, we're going to go get a sandwich together. Exactly. Like, I'm going to go to Ohio. We're going to get a sandwich together. Come back <laughs> to Colorado, and Zach will almost be done." <laughs> Almost be done. But I, at that point, I'll be showing everybody my Tron Legacy action figure. Like this is like like I constantly gotta replace the batteries. I'm going to Walgreens. I'll be back in 15 minutes. Um, but no. So like, I think Tron's one of those movies that like, if you're a cinephile or even a, like a slight movie fanatic, you are aware of it. 
it's definitely something that I think to the, uh, the most minor extent still lives in the pop culture zeitgeist. There, like, it shows up in things like South Park, Family Guy. Like, it, it's still like people know what it is, even if they haven't seen it. It's it's weird. It's permeated culture, but in a way that nobody's ever seen like what it actually is at its source. Um, I know for a while Tron Legacy was the butt of a joke. Uh, it's it's interesting that in revisiting a lot of this stuff and trying to figure out what how like uh, opinions have changed on it now that Tron Legacy is ten years old. Good lord, that's a scary thought. Um, <laughs> It's it's interesting that now people are really starting to call it kind of like an unseen gem, and I'm kind of thrilled at that because I've always been on the Tron Legacy bandwagon since the get go. But we'll get more into that with context. But no, I um I enjoy Tron, even though it's a very dry movie. It, it doesn't know what it wants to be, um, and I think Tron Legacy is nothing short of phenomenal. Interesting, interesting. I think um uh, I think so. Zach has the most context. I, I'm gonna take a guess that i have the second most context but i want to know ben have you ever seen tron or tron legacy before this recording i had seen tron legacy in theaters i think i won tickets from a radio station Ooh, nice okay uh, i'm the opposite i saw tron when i was young and i had never seen tron legacy so okay we have almost we need a fourth person who's never seen either of them and we have all the permutations <laughs> <laughs> I I have to say um, it's part nostalgia that I enjoyed Tron when I was younger. Definitely as I got older and I revisited, I think I watched it in my undergrad because someone had a copy of it, the original Tron, and I started to appreciate it more as the technical achievement that it is rather than it's a good movie because it is, like Zach said, very dry. It is almost inexcusably slow for – the proto matrix because i'm sure we'll get into that how much of i think tron leads into the matrix um but tron legacy i had never seen i have my problems with tron legacy but overall i i thought it was kind of good i didn't love it i didn't hate it there were certain aspects i hated about the movie like i have my fixes um for for how to make this movie almost near perfect but overall i think zach tron and tron legacy they're pretty good I got nothing against it. So, so Ben, I'm interested because I guess I'm the only one who hadn't seen Tron Legacy in theaters. Did did you guys see it? Was this 3D? I'm sure it had to be, right? I did not see it in 3D. Zach, was it, it was... 3D? Like, oh, it had I, I'm to be. so gl- I'm so <laughs> glad you're asking these questions, Rob. See, Rob is a perfect student. He's asking the right questions. <laughs> um, I did see Tron Legacy in 3D because it's one, it's one of my most infamous movie going experiences, but not for like any of the typical reasons. Because I was okay. This is does Ben you have outside of winning any tickets from your your radio station? Do you have any context to this or, or no? Or just for Zach's thirty just minute that. dissertation. You can uh, you can discern. All right, I'm I'm going to. You're going to regret those words, sir. <laughs> um, so what happens was like I rem- I don't even remember how I got into Tron, but I know for Christmas in 2005 I asked for the DVD. And it was like a two disc set back when they actually cared about home video releases. And I can, I don't know where the DVD is because I, oh God, I haven't like opened it like in a decade ever since I got the Blu ray. Um, but I remember like the artwork was very minimal and it's like, oh God, like the, like uh, the 20th century breakthrough in special effects. And I'm like, okay. And I think part of it too is like I saw a bunch of the toys from like the early 80s and they just look so unique. So I got the movie for Christmas. 
and I kind of didn't know what to make of it. It was just like to a 13 year old, like, like Rob said, I've said, it's a very, very opaque film unless you, you, you go into it, or I guess it's to the uninitiated, to the uninitiated. It's very, very dense. But if you're into this sort of thing, like it's just waiting for you to kind of just tear into it. Um, so I was always aware of it. Then I remember, I think it was like in 2007 or eight, there was rumblings like, oh, they're making a Tron sequel. And this is before like the big like hullabaloo of making sequels like decades after the first films uh, had come out. So I think it was like 2008 for Comic-Con. Rob can tell you this is like when the summer we first got to know each other. And like I was getting like really like like figuring out like all the entertainment industry stuff like this before I became like the box office guru. And like I remember like there was like a test footage reel long before Marvel, before like you had all these like Hall H big things like became like an event spectacle. And I remember seeing the footage and I'm not sure if either one of you found this in your research. I haven't seen it in years. I don't know if it's still accessible. But it was kind of like almost like a five-minute like demo reel for the plot of the film. It's like a light cycle writer is like trying to escape somebody. Clue comes after him. Um, and it's like – and the guy's like, all right, you win. It's just a game. And Clue's like – not anymore and he kills them and you have like jeff bridges is like like kevin flint up like on his little like 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 mountain like trellis and it's like oh this is neat like i guess they're finally doing it like this is all we knew like it was test footage i guess to kind of get the executives on board um and then like 2009 comes along like okay we're definitely doing it like we're shooting and i'm like okay i'm excited because i could i've always swear this is my greatest example of the mandela effect where I'm like, I could have sworn the movie was going to come out in March of 2010. And then, like, Alice in Wonderland happened, insert a, a – what's the dance called, Rob? The Nutter Butter. Yes, insert the Nutter Butter here. Uh, well, and, you, you cannot bring that up with somebody who has not talked about it on the podcast before. We have taken aside. Ben, have you seen Tim Burton's Alice in oh, Wonderland? Of course he has. Of course he has. I can tell you that. That's the yeah, one I think I saw it in IMAX. Oh, wow. Do you remember the name of the dance that the Mad Hatter does at the end of the movie? No. No, because nobody does. Because it's a war crime and should be forgotten. (laughs) Nobody remembers that movie, Rob. It's the only example of a movie making over a billion dollars. Nobody has any memory of watching it other than you and I. Alice in Wonderland cannot come up without talking about the Nutter Butter, which is what I call the dance, even though that is not the name of it. <laughs> do, you, do you know the actual name of it? No. Oh, no. I did this once. Hold on. I'm going to do it again. Okay, <laughs> Google. What's the name of the dance from Alice in Wonderland? Futterwhacking. Futterwhacking. <laughs> okay, Google, stop. I don't want to know anything fucking more. Okay. <laughs> Futterwhacking. That's what it's called. <laughs> No, oh stop! <laughs> oh my god, this is how the machines become sentient, folks. Um, <laughs> this is how Rob gets sucked into the Google of home world. It starts to like it starts to digitize him. Uh, yeah, Tron. Um, the, tr- the I'm going to get sucked into the grid, and instead of Light Cycle or like Jialai, they're going to make me play Futterwhacken, like Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, so like I could have always sworn this movie was gonna come out like in March of 2010, and like when Alice in Wonderland, like I think came out. I think, so I'm pretty sure we saw a preview for Tron in front of Alice in Wonderland, and it was like December. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, I want Tron now. And then like, oh, like that was obviously freshman year of college, and I remember being like really, really, really on the hype train for this. I remember speaking of winning things, like they had like 
they don't do it anymore, but it was a thing big like in the early 2010s where they would do like like I don't even know what to call it. It'd be like they'd show you a bunch of clips to the movie before it would come out. But like you had to get like it's kind of like I think Rob remembers the story from high school, like kind of like what I did with Avatar back back in the day where like if you like, you had to go to a website and you actually got like to, to go to a theater near you and they showed you clip of the clips of the movie to like like create hype. Okay. And I remember Sal and I did that in Albany. And I remember just being like, I remember, I, I, I'm trying to remember what sequence is. We saw the first list, uh, oh God, uh, the data disc fight. We mm. saw that, like the, the, we saw that. We saw, I think, the uh, Alan Bradley and Sam Flynn, like in his little like makeshift, like storage container house. Yes. <laughs> um, we, we saw the arcade where he goes into the arcade and you have separate, you have the journey song playing. I forget, and I think we had it when Sam meets Clue. There's maybe one more that I'm forgetting. Oh yeah, that's when Cora, when Cora saves him. That's the that's the clip they showed. And I remember sitting online, and I've never like it's, I think we all can attest to we're all movie nerds, and yet maybe it was the only time in my life that I felt like I was around bigger movie nerds because there was a guy there who had a data disc from Tron Legacy before the toys were even released yet. And to this day, I cannot figure out how he got merchandise for a film where the toys weren't out yet. And that is being the official movie merchandise person on this podcast. You can see why this would this this would bother me. <laughs> and I, I remember like in the security was like they had their own private security. Like they wouldn't let you into the theater without like like with your cell phone. They had like they actually like wanted you. It was bonkers. And like it was like, OK, like it was fun. But, like, it wasn't anything, like, revelatory. Like, it wasn't like, wow, this is a good change. Like, it didn't feel like what Avatar felt like a year like a year so prior. Or it was like, wow, we're seeing something that could potentially change everything. Um, and then I remember I, like, I couldn't wait to go see it in IMAX. Like, they released parts of the soundtrack. I remember in my dorm room, they like, had, like, a 90-second music video for Derez. Dra- uh, Daft, like, I guess, like, there was, like, the major like single from the film of sure. Daft Punk soundtrack. And like, I remember I literally had that on loop for like four or five hours straight, just blaring <laughs> it as loud as I could. Um, Cause I loved it so much again. Like I, I, I love Daft Punk. So like getting a new album ad, that was half the fun of this movie too. Um, I yeah, remember, I, don't, like, I know we've had this discussion before. I don't think it was on mic. I know uh, uh, you, Zach loves Daft Punk. Daft Punk is the Daft Punk is the closest thing to early two thousands pop, but from the French side of things. Like yes. I get why you like, yes. like Daft Punk. Oh, because I love it. If Daft Punk doesn't have someone featured on one of their songs, every oh, single one of their songs sounds exactly the same. You're not wrong, Rob. You're not that's wrong. why I know. No, that's I why like... you like it, Zach. You know? Do you do you guys know what the best thing Daft Punk ever did is? Stronger. <laughs> the best thing they ever did. That's a, that's what most people, I think, would say, Vince. That's a good answer. But the best thing Daft Punk ever did was before they were Daft Punk, there were actually three of them, and they were called Darlin', and they okay. broke up, and the two of them, Thomas Bangalter and Guy Manuel de Holmem Christo, which is the other guy's name in Daft Punk, they left behind Laurent Brock- Brankowitz, who goes on to form Phoenix. So the best thing that Daft Punk ever did was drop their third member so Phoenix exists. That's my take on Daft Punk. <laughs> that that uh, feels like heresy. Phoenix is an objectively better band than Daft Punk. <laughs> that, did, did Phoenix do a soundtrack for a Tron movie, Rob? No. 
<laughs> but I think I think that's more answer. because of you the limitations you. of the number of Tron movies and not because of Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so like I was like I was excited for this movie on pretty much every level imaginable. I wanted to go. I I even sat like I wanted to go see an IMAX up in Albany. Um, I did one of my greatest regrets and frustrations of my life, and this is not like being facetious at all, was that I remember when the movie got released. It was right like at the end of finals week. And something, something, my mother got mad at me and she wouldn't pick up the phone when I kept trying to call her. It's like, I didn't know what happened. And because of that, I never got to see the movie in IMAX. And to this day, I will never forgive my mother for doing that to me. She deprived me of Tron Legacy in IMAX 3D. And I had, and I remember, like, I wanted to go back to school early so I could see IMAX because the Green Hornet starring Seth Rogen was coming in next. And I knew that would get all the screens, like, like get the IMAX screen. And I never got to see Tron Legacy in IMAX. I had to settle for it in 3D at the goddamn Galleria. And even though I loved seeing it in 3D, I will never forgive her for depriving me of that. Because I, I just, I want to hear derezzed in IMAX 3D mm. so badly. I want to hear that. The whole thing, I want to see the whole movie in IMAX 3D. But anyway, so like, I was like on the high train. Is the sound and, system specifically different for IMAX movies? Yeah, yeah. It's, okay. it's infinitely better. It's okay. infinitely better. Um, it's not like at, like it's not like Atmos now, where like you like like you feel like you're literally in the middle of it. Like it's it's a tad more primitive than that, relatively speaking. But it's it's still infinitely better than your like a garden variety movie theater. It's like um, that's what I think. All sound is three dimensional. It is, but it's you can tell there's much more. There's there's more speakers. There's more subwoofers. Like it's it's better calibration. Um, that's awesome. I, again. I, I didn't know this, and I'm sorry for fucking with you in the middle of your story. Continue to desert Zach. <laughs> no, I, I remember, Zach, when we saw uh, Inception in IMAX. Like, that, you thought you could hear, but we really heard, <laughs> But, like, that's the reason why, that, like, like, it became a thing with, like, Rob and I in the big theater after so much time, like, at the Galleria. It was that, like, if you're going to spend money on a movie, get the best presentation of it possible. It's like, no. Like, that's why, like, I drive, I was going to drive an hour each way to go see goddamn Wonder Woman. Is that, like, I want, I want to feel like my seat rumbling. You can't get that from a garden variety theater. Um, but no, so, like, I never got to see an IMAX 3D. But, like, I remember, like, I remember they had some promotion where, like, if you pre ordered the soundtrack to, like, Disney.com, you got, like, a Tron, you got a Daft Punk tron legacy poster that actually like glows in the dark it's one of my like most pro you remember i i have it it's it's like one of my most prized like movie possessions um i love it so much um i i as i was showing these guys before we started recording like i bought a bunch of the toys like i had a fantastic toy line i wish i bought more of it um yeah and then like i'm trying to think like really the last thing like they even like they had like a comic book that came out that explained something, and I have that. Like I was really immersed in this world. Like I like knew everything about the Tron universe, and like even when they had like the whole campaign for like Flynn lives, like in like 2009, I remember that somewhere I have a Flynn lives T-shirt. If Rob remembers, there's like a picture like on Facebook of me wearing an Encom T-shirt from like high school. Um, I, again, like I would, I love Tron so goddamn much. It kills me every single time Disney tries to do something with it and then just kind of fumbles it halfway through. Um, 
but no, like Tron, it's phenomenal. I think I, I, think I, I they love keep it in every sense of it, Zach, because you might be the only person that cares about it as much. Like you care about it more oh, than I the Disney it. executives. I do, I do. I love Tron. Like I love, like, like you have no idea how mad I got in, two th- in December of 2010. I want a Tron action figure from Tron Legacy. And they actually show it at the beginning of the movie. I remember oh. like literally leaning over to my mother being like, I, they need to make this. I don't want Rinsler. I want Tron. <laughs> and I'm like, I remember being like, they literally made the prop. Just like you have the mold. Sell it. Um, it's driven me nuts that they never made like a young Tron from Tron Legacy. Because I love that just design of the character so much. Like Tron's probably one of my favorite. The character of Tron is probably one of my all time like favorite fictional characters even though he's kind of a car he's like a cardboard cutout in both movies um i just love that character like a character that's just unabashedly good and great at what they do i i just i love that i i love i i i like the first movie i am wholeheartedly in love with tron legacy i think i know what i should get zach if i ever buy him a gift i'm gonna i'm gonna get you a speaker set and i'm gonna cut like i'm gonna get a chair and I'm gonna cut out the innards of it and put a subwoofer in it, <laughs> and, and then I'm gonna I like put to, back the upholstery. I have to imagine then, like as you describe that, it's like that scene in Casino Royale where Matt Mickelson's like cutting the bottom of the chair out. <laughs> he puts like a naked James Bond. Then like this robe is being like instead of like getting like a giant like rope that's knotted, it's just a subwoofer under the chair. I thought Ben was yeah, going to I mean, say cyanide you want... pill. <laughs> <laughs> you said you want to feel the vibrations, so I'm going to help you out. Um, Thank you. I, so I'm a little bit surprised at your love of the character Tron. Um, it makes me think that you probably would have loved Jesus if you read the Bible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've I don't know if you read the Bible. They made some movies about it, too. Um, <laughs> Mel Gibson did a fantastic job at one point. Yeah, maybe, uh, but that was back before he openly hated Jews or whatever. Um, I like he said openly. I, I like how that's the key word <laughs> in that sense. Openly. Yeah, I mean, I, you don't just start hating the Jews overnight. Like, need <laughs> <laughs> some time to gestate. This doesn't happen immediately. Have you heard that story, Ben? There's that. It, I think it's been on meme sites, but it's a real story where some dude like got mugged and is he got a huge concussion, and when he woke up, he was like able to think in a different way and he became better at abstract and logical thinking i've, I've heard things like that yeah. yeah and so it's just like oh man i got mugged one night they they hit they cold cocked me with the butt of the pistol and i just woke up the next day hating juice <laughs> <laughs> like, i'm really good at uh geometry and jew hate <laughs> i can do my math but now i'm an anti-semite i'm glad was it worth it I, I, yeah i'm glad you bring up the the jesus thing Ben, because I definitely got a huge sense of a religion motif from both of these movies. Well, in the first one, they like explicitly say religious zealots and like they talk about users as if they're like, I don't know. It's it's kind of strange because like I got like a really weird vibe when they're talking about users. And maybe it's just because of where I'm from. But where I'm from, users are people who do meth. <laughs> yeah. and, and so <laughs> I was I was like, these people are worshiping meth addicts. <laughs> Tron's like, we fight for the users, and it's just like people jonesing in the corner. (laughs) Scratching their skin off and stuff. Cleaning that same spot on the table that's definitely part of the wood. Uh, (laughs) You you know, I mean, so anyway, like, but yeah, there's definitely like, it's not even undertones, it's overtones of like, they they tried to connect it to religion in some way. Um, 
like the persecution of Christians almost, where in this instance, the creators of their world are all of humankind, mm-hmm. and somehow users are a representation of that. So, like, the users, any one user is as good as all users, which essentially is their god, and then Tron is is definitely like a Jesus-like character who was sent into the into the world of the programs to, like, liberate them from their ignorance or whatever. So, like, I don't know. It's definitely there if you're looking for it. Um, or if you're not. Because, like, like I said, they even use the word religious, which is which is kind of interesting. Um, I think but I, that, I kind of, that's something I really like more about the first movie, where... I don't think the first movie, it introduces these things, but I don't think it ever really fleshes them out. Like, they're there, you can see it, but I don't think, like, the point of the movie is, like, you know, accepting the users or accepting Jesus. Like, the point of the first movie is Jeff Bridges wants to prove that uh, Lovejoy from Titanic stole his video game. Like, that's the point of the first movie. The second movie is... So cliched in the, oh, wow, I made a system and basically the concept of genetic algorithms and Darwinism took place in the computer world and these isomorphic programs need to be taken out so we can just cure the problems of humanity. And I'm like, that's that's such a stretch. (laughs) So I actually I have um, I I think I have have like a, a different take on Tron Legacy and what it's about. Um, I, I think Tron Legacy is literally about the myth of like saving your dad from the underworld. Um, oh, okay. If you're, I don't know, I mean, even in like Pinocchio when he has to save Geppetto from Monstro the whale, like that's so the idea is that civilization, um, you know, so it exists and then everybody's everybody kind of has a purpose inside of civilization and the purpose of the new generation is essentially to keep the parts that worked from the previous generation but change them enough to prevent the society from stagnating and then transmit that knowledge into the future. And um, in this case, the saving your father part of the myth, I, th- I think, is essentially the idea of, of recovering the part of society that, that does work, the good stuff. Um, and, like, that that motif is, is throughout this movie entirely because, like, it, it goes so far as to even, li- like, it's literally his father, the the reason the society is stagnated is because his father created a copy of himself that had the wrong goal in mind. It didn't have like an updated goal. Sure, it had the it had the cliche robot goal of I need to delete imperfection and anything that is not me is imperfection. Yeah, more or less. And and then even even further than that, the father had become stagnant like his real father had become stagnant and let this like cliched image of himself take over the world. And he had decided that there was nothing he could do about it. That wouldn't make it worse. So then his son has to come onto the scene and throw chaos into the overly ordered system to uh, shake it up and save it essentially. And so he has to go down into the underworld, which is the grid in this case, or, or really outside of the grid and save the good parts of his father and bring them back into the grid. And, um, and then he, at the end, they even, like, solidify it by, like, Clue and his dad, like, mesh into one thing. It's, like, it's clear that these were these were two different parts of his father, the good parts and the, and the overly ordered parts, and they needed to be together before, uh, you know, the problem could be solved. I like, I like that take. I mean, I think that one of the things I picked up on, with maybe not thinking of that explicitly as I was watching it, is that I really loved that old man Jeff Bridges, the, the true father, 
he is in some form of arrested development. Like, he's saying, like, whoa, far out, man, bio-digital jazz. And I'm like, yeah, he's just stuck in the fucking 70s and 80s because he's been in this computer system for so long. And I like that relation with the stagnation you mentioned. Yeah, um, and it's just, like, it, it kind of... It kind of hit me over the head when I watched it this time. The first time I watched it, I got some like, they're, like they're building an army, so and they're they're exterminating people, and I got maybe like a World War II kind of vibe out of it. But then like that that doesn't go very far because in in World War post World War One Germany, like Germany needed a scapegoat because of how bad it was, and there was nothing like that in this. Like the grid was created fresh, mm-hmm. and so it didn't make sense that the ISOs would be a scapegoat. So they were they were seen as something that needed to be exterminated, but they weren't like the Jews in in the World War One scenario, post World War One scenario, yeah, yep. leading up to World War Two. So like I, I definitely the first time I saw it, I like I had like loose connections to that, but it never really clicked for me. And then like this time I watched it, I was like, oh, this is the Savior Father myth. Like it's just straight up. Like, society has become too ordered, we have to throw an element of chaos into it, and that element of chaos has to recover the goodness, but also allow for change. And, like, that, it's actually paralleled in in the real-world part as well, because his dad going missing allowed the company to stagnate, um, and the good part of his dad was that he wanted to provide this income operating system for free. And so, like, the sun goes in and and causes chaos in, in the overly ordered system again. It steals the operating system, uploads it for free. Yep. And um, it's not as developed in the overworld scenario as it is in the under in, in the underworld scenario, but it's totally there. Um, it's totally him trying to recover the parts of, you know, his dad that were that were trapped. And so in this, you know, in the analogy, recover the parts of civilization that were worth keeping. Sure, sure. No, I think that brings up something I really liked about both these movies is that once we're in the computer world, we don't, like, cut out to the real world. Like, I love that we just stay in it, where it's not just like, oh, no, here's this ticking clock we got to worry about in the real world. They do it a little in the second one with, like, the portal's going to close or whatever, but that never seems like a massive threat because the movie moves quick enough. But, but I love that it's just like we're in the computer world, we're staying in the computer world. Sure. And and I I really enjoyed that with that kind of parallelism. But I I think uh, th- that's a a great take. Ben, I did not think about Tron Legacy in that way at all. Zach, are we uh, are we jumping around the wrong way? Should we be doing Tron first? <laughs> I hope that came through on the mic. Zach's like, okay. I have toys to play with. <laughs> ben and I are discussing what this movie means, and, and Zach just has his little action figure. Tron Legacy, and I'm just like, I'm like, oh man, we have Tron fighting Clue, and I'm happy as can be. <laughs> um, no, like that's the thing I love about this movie is that this Tron Legacy, like in all honesty, like I want to talk more about Tron Legacy because I think that's the genuine masterpiece here. Um, Tron, obviously, you don't get Legacy without Tron. But I, I think Ben's on the right path. It's the fact that, like, even as I was rewatching parts of Tron Legacy last night, because I I watched um, um, Tron Legacy like about a month ago, and I really uh, like that's what made me want to pull Valerian out. And like I saw more again, Ben went into it way more than I did. But like even the whole idea of like Clue versus Kevin Flynn is like I saw as kind of just like the misguided arrogance of youth. And having to reconcile the past with the current before you can advance into the future. And that's kind of like a little bit in the same vein as what Ben was getting at. Um, He developed his train of thought much more than I did. But that's the thing, though, is that like you don't like 
and this is where it comes into the broad picture of Disney, is that like name a Disney movie made in the last 15 years, you can say what Ben just did about anything else. You can't say that about any of the Marvel films. You can't say that about any of the, I don't know, A Wrinkle in Time. Not that they didn't try, You remember that five-minute useless scene in Endgame where Tony Stark runs into his father. They were really trying for that there. (laughs) So So, the the Marvel movies, like, they're all some derivation of the hero's journey myth or the, the hero's journey story, but... Because of the state they exist within the the overall story that they're telling, they can never be complete. Yeah. Um, so each each one of them, like I think that's kind of what you're getting at, is that none of them are a complete story, and they're not because they're supposed to be part of the story. Um, that's the thing, and plus on top of that, every story is kind of like a regurgitation because every story is about the hero fighting their their foil reflection. Right. Sure. And uh, I think if you look at the collection of the Marvel movies. From Iron Man all the way to um, is the end game, it, like that is Tony Stark's hero's journey. Like that's his whole his whole arc. You know, like that. Those movies are all about. Well, I can't say they're all about, but I can say if you watch them all together, you do get at least that one complete story. Oh, doesn't doesn't Robert Downey Jr. fight Jeff Bridges in the first Iron Man? Isn't he the bad guy? Yes, he does. Oh, yes, he nice. Does. Okay, I like that. <laughs> Bring it full circle. Um, but no, but like that's the thing about Tron Legacy, though, is that like there is it feels like it has a lot of philosophical depth to it that, again, we say this a lot in the Star Wars podcast, but it's backing into brilliance. Um, and that's the thing. Like there is like it, but it has all the hallmarks of even if you don't want to delve into it on that super deep level. It's also a really fun action adventure film. Like whereas the first movie has almost glacier level pacing. The second one, there's always something happening. Like, there's, like, think about it. Like, honestly, probably the slowest moment in the second film is when they're having dinner at Kevin Flynn's house with Olivia Wilde. Yep, that's, like, that's, that's exactly probably, what I was thinking. That's literally the slowest part of the film. Other than that, there's always something happening. And it's never, in the action sequences are never just there for the sake of being there. It feels it's kind of like the how the, the principle when it comes to musicals that anytime you stop to have a, a number, it has to advance the plot. Every action sequence in this movie is doing something to, pro- to propel the narrative. Nothing is just there to be gratuitous. Definitely. I'm kind of, you know, after you guys said it that you saw this in theaters, when I was watching this, I was like when that uh Rinsler/Tron versus uh Garrett Headland fight happens, and the gravity switches, I was like, oh, fuck, I love this. Like, I would have loved to see this on a big screen. I was so on, and I'm, I'm usually not a person who loves action. Like, I love my slow, methodical, you know, introspective dialogue, but I was so on board for some of that stuff. The, the one thing I found a little weird about that gravity switching scene is that they continued to film it upside down, and I understand why they did that in terms of, like, making it, something that the audience would care about. But realistically, if gravity switched like that, it wouldn't feel upside down to the people sure, that are experiencing sure. Yeah, it was definitely a visual stylistic choice. Um, I think, it, if I remember correctly, the gravity switches back fairly quickly it after does. that. It's, so it's not like we're yeah, there for really too quick. long or anything. Um, but actually, I, 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 w- I think we need to talk about the first disc fight where, where Sam Flynn actually like fights that... that uh, I don't know, Combatant 11 or whatever the fuck he is. Uh, uh, the NPC. Yes, the NPC, yeah. So 
so Sam, like he goes in there and he's, it's very clear. He's completely unprepared for the, the, um, fight in terms of how acrobatic his opponent is. Mm -hmm. Um, and and you're looking at this, you're like, this guy stands no chance whatsoever. And then he throws that kind of game changing move of, uh, realizing that the disc can break the floor and waiting for the guy to come at him and then just breaking the floor underneath him. And, and like, that's how he beats the first opponent. And like even that, from the very beginning, they're establishing that Sam is an order is like is an element of chaos in the ordered system. Yeah, he's just like from the beginning, he's like I do shit different than you do, and um, I, I think like like you were saying that you know that action scene it goes to propel that narrative of Sam is he, he is the introduction of chaos. He is the element of change in this movie. I think, yeah, I, I he's I, Finn I, from Adventure Time. I definitely <laughs> he's Sam Finn, <laughs> Sam Finn the human. That's I right. definitely, I definitely human. agree with that. I also think earlier it's set up in the. I think the scene almost directly prior to that when he's on the, um, I think those ships are called recognizers, if I remember correctly. The oh staple-looking yeah, things. yeah, and. When it's like they're going through the the guards are going through the people on the recognizer and they're like you do this or you do that and they're like you go to the games rectify rectify yeah rectify. that one dude games. is like I don't want to go to the games I'm gonna kill myself and I'm like are the games that bad like you don't want to give them a chance but that's once again adding to that chaos where Flynn Kevin Sam Flynn does not know what the games are so he's almost like you know blissfully ignorant blissfully in the sense of his fate and destiny and path through this world that he's you know he's not just like oh my god i'm gonna die anyway so i should kill myself like which these programs seem to think well and that that's uh that scene definitely kind of screamed to me this this is them telling the the viewer how bad the people in this world think the games are yes yes um and so that like what that achieves is it it achieves making sam more nervous than he would have been otherwise. Like, he's probably nervous anyway because he's in a situation that doesn't make any sense to him and he's being hustled through things and whatever. But now he's seen somebody kill themselves to avoid the situation he's about to experience, which you know, which just adds that level of punch that uh, that maybe wouldn't have been there otherwise. So I think it was a, a good choice. I, I found it, I guess, was he, so this was something I wasn't clear about. Are the How did they decide who went to the games? Were they all ISOs? Like, was that part of the execution of the ISOs, no. that wasn't well, yeah, Zach would know better. I think well, Sam gets sent there because he says some snarky comment. I'm sure. No, well, the thing about those that like it's whether a program has like a purpose or it's an exile. Like that's the whole thing. Like rec- again, I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've lived in this world, but like they go- the the recognizer people who are obviously again. Ben, you, your analogy here is quite apt, so I'll let you kind of please feel free to interrupt me if you have a better term for this. But they're they are the policemen of of this world. They kind of like they're the foot soldiers, and they they round up just programs that don't have a purpose, exiles. You know, obviously Kevin Sam Flynn falls into that because he doesn't belong in this world, and some of them obviously can be rectified. They can be kind of troubleshooted back into the way it should be. While others who kind of have no purpose are sent to the games just for arena style combat. Um, yeah, we... so you're you're totally hitting on like these are the um, maybe the implementers or the enforcers of the tyranny. Yeah, and they are I trying to identify elements that would destroy the tyranny if let free, something like that. I don't think it's that, but they do, they don't fit into the perfection model that Clue has installed. Well, yeah, I guess that's what I mean by the tyranny is like the the perfection model. They like the things that don't fit that model are dangerous to let to let roam 
I, sure. I would imagine, to, at least to their mind. Sure, and the ISOs, the ISOs are, are we see that in the flashback sequence, Clue pretty much just commits genocide against them. Right. He wipes he them just, out because he, can't, he they're inexplicable to him, therefore they are bad, and they must be cleansed. Does Jeff Bridges say genocide, if I remember correctly? At, yeah, he does. Genocide, man! <laughs> He's so hippie he in this said, movie. <laughs> but like, well, no, like, also you have to look back, like at this time, Jeff Bridges was kind of having his career renaissance. Like he had oh, yeah. True Grit came out the exact same time period. He just done the. I think he just won an Oscar the year previous for being like what was it called Crazy Heart or something where he's sure. a guy who plays guitar. Yeah. Um. Yep. So no, it was like, much like we had the McConaughey's like in the mid two thousand tens. This was kind of like the Bridgesance. I don't know if that was oh, even a thing he called it. Um. I don't I like any of this sans suffixes. Any the, of Mac- them. the McConaughey was a real thing. Rob. That never it was happened, a real thing. Zach. That is yes, it did. An artifact. Matthew of the McConaughey internet. won an Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club. He gets cast in Interstellar right before that, and Interstellar was kind of the end of the McConaughey. I reject your hypothesis. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, repeat after me. McConaughey. Oh God. Oh, it's tingly. It makes my lips just. Oh. No, I I like oh. Jeff Bridges. I've always liked Jeff Bridges and his earlier stuff. And then, um, I mean, what is he known for? Back he, Tron. He's like the Disney dude. He does Tron. He does what? Starman. A few years later. Disney. Um. So he's always known at that. But I I've I like his back half. He's the too. dude. He's of the course, dude. he's the big Lebowski. He's the dude. Um, he's he's really good. Even though I don't like uh, Fast Times at the El Royale with cheese. He's great in that movie, um, uh, which is the worst Tarantino movie ever. Uh, uh, ben, we've talked about that. That's directed by Drew Goddard. That's his movie after Cabin in the Woods, uh, Bad Times oh, okay. at the El Royale. Yeah, Jeff Bridges is great in that. I, I think Jeff Bridges is serviceable in this movie. I think that he's a little too bogged down in that Arrested Development, like hippies, digital jazz stuff that I was mentioning. But some of the delivery in the de-age stuff, like the one that sticks out to me is uh, when Clue carries out the coup, clue, the clue coup, the, the clue coup coup, the clue coup clock of doom, the Goosebumps episode. Um, but like Clue shows up and he says something like, am I still the creator of the perfect system? Oh, I love. Oh, and then I Jeff Bridges is like, I want, del- I want the delivery. I want delivery. I want delivery. Okay, I I'll put the clip in too after you deliver it, Zach. So we. Can I I actually I in why time I have to say the word yeah I <laughs> I deliberately inflect my voice the same way I love it yeah yeah like, that's, like, I, I love <laughs> I, I love that though because it's just like. Flynn! Am I still to create the perfect system? Yeah. It was a coup. Je- like early Jeff, like they're trying to emulate early Jeff Bridges, or like '80s Jeff Bridges, and it's like okay, but like I love that though. It's kind of like this like baffled yet agreement. Yeah, it's like I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. It's like if someone comes up to you, like you're like maybe it's late at night and you're like walking home from a bar back when you could do that, and like someone comes up to you and knows your name, but you don't really know who's talking to you, and you're just kind of like, "Yeah," <laughs> like you don't know what stance to take. <laughs> it's very it, strange. I think it's a, it's a, it's an affirmative that ends in a question mark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's delightful. Yeah, it, was, it was definitely like a "Yeah, why are you asking?" Sure, sure. That's the thing. It ends in a question mark. We, and we have the- to talk about de-aged Jeff Bridges. 
Because I think it's in that good. in the opening scene, I thought they were gonna like hide it. Like in the rest of the movie, it makes sense. Like DH Jeff Bridges is Clue because he's this computer program. It would have worked better if all the computer programs looked CGI like he did. But of course, they need to cast real actors. But my biggest problem was we get the whole opening scene where Jeff Bridges is talking to young Sam, and they're talking about Tron and the grid, and he's like, I'm going to show it to you. And then when he's ready to leave, they just show CGI Jeff Bridges, and I uncontrollably vomited when I saw that. Like, I could not (laughs) control my gag reflex. It looked horrendous. And so Ben said it was bad. Zach, what are your thoughts? You love it because you have Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love it because it is sort of Tron action figure that I want to buy. And I'm like, just, I, I, I can't see it because I'm throwing my wallet at the screen each time at that moment. Um, I, okay. Does it look a little plasticky? Yes. Do a I little. agree with your – do I agree with your theory that, like, it would make sense because obviously Clue is a computer program so he could be a little more plasticky and you can explain that away? Sure. But they were again. This was still also the time period where, like, the like motion capture was still like we, like, we weren't getting the Andy Circus like monkey movies. Yeah. Um, again, it, I'm willing to forgive it because that's what the original Tron was. It was meant to be pioneering on some level when it came to special effects. Is it a, is it a failure? Probably more so than not, but at least it's audacious. They're trying. They're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Like I'd rather have like dead behind the eyes, like uh, Kevin Flynn, Jeff Bridges, than Jimmy C. Two and a half hours of blue people dancing around. Like I, like, there's more human element for me to latch onto in that one scene in Tron Legacy than there is in two and a half hours of Blue People Avatar. I'll give you like, that. I, at least they didn't I'm overload to, this movie with the CGI de aging. Yeah, but that's why I mean, though. But like, I'm willing to forgive the technology not being where it should be because at least the scene is there. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Avatar, it was the technology first, and the scene didn't matter. You could still make the same argument: the technology was put first here, but at least there's other. Th- the story at least is trying, which can definitely not be said about Avatar. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Ben's conflicted. <laughs> <laughs> I so I like I had the thoughts that that the technology I had some thoughts about the technology in the movie and uh the thought like the the place I landed on it was like in 2010 how the fuck do you know what technology was going to be like what do you do just wait to do everything that requires you to push the boundaries like of course not you just fucking do it and maybe it doesn't look great 10 years later but who fucking cares at least you did something but like, so, like this is this is my thing, though, and this is I, Ben. I don't know how much of, of the Mandalorian you've watched or are aware of. Mm-hmm. I would rather have this Jeff Bridges from the beginning of Tron Legacy than Mark Hamill at the end of the Mandalorian season two. To me, like I at least they're at least they're trying in Tron Legacy. I do not want a unconvincing deep fake. Where, like, the actor's face does not move. I would at least see them try and fail than to play it as safe as possible and have his fact be, as, I'm sorry, have his face be as stagnant as possible. My, my thoughts on this have been recorded in Knights of Vader. The Mark Hamill deep fake whose face doesn't move is totally accurate because Mark Hamill's face did not move after his car accident for the <laughs> last two Star Wars movies. <laughs> I mean, other than the, I think on the technology of this movie, other than DH Jeff Bridges, I think everything else looks great. 
Oh, 10 I, years later? This looks phenomenal. Yeah. It I looks mean, fantastic. I have some issues with some of the – I think my biggest issue is more with the um, the, the geometry of the spaces and, like, like the, the whole light cycle in Tron Legacy. I have no idea where the hell anybody is and what's going on, but I love looking at it. The whole uh, end-of-the-line club scene fight, that's a smaller space, so I think I understand more of what's going on in there. But I think that gets bogged down in just they're like, let's have this crazy fight cutting between our three characters and then cutting between Michael Sheen doing a David Bowie impression dancing in the background. And I'm like, this is a little strange. So I guess that brings me to something I wanted to say. One of the things that should happen, not just for this movie, but for just film in general, someone needs to go back in time and execute Michael Sheen so he can never be in a movie, period. (laughs) I hate Michael Sheen. I don't think I've liked him in anything except maybe Frost Nixon because he's playing a fucking idiot in Frost Nixon as Frost. (laughs) But yeah, I wanted to talk about Michael Sheen as David Bowie as Zeus, I think, in this movie. Caster. As Caster Caster slash slash Zeus. Zeus, Yeah, but Michael Sheen, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything I like him in. And then when you take a bad actor... Going for David Bowie, it's like I I just make if you need to cast David Bowie after his death, and I don't even think David Bowie was dead when this movie came out. I think that came like six years later. Just cast a boiler or a tea kettle. That's clearly the option to go with. Um, I I will say about that character, it's, it's not really related to what you just said, but I watched this with subtitles, and the way Zeus was spelt was Z U S E. Yeah, that's what it is in the credits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So Love just it. Throwing that out there. It's not Love it. the God of Love Lightning. It. That was a it's... clear typo, I think. <laughs> I, okay, I, okay, Rob knows I love my schlock. Oh, uh, and that's yes. the thing. I don't think it's schlock. I think it's camp because, like, in the behind the scenes stuff, he says he was told to deliver it that way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's not, it's not him doing this. It's not any sort of, uh, what? Uh, the the artist intent when it comes to this. Um, well, yeah, I that's fair how... because Michael Sheen is not a good actor. He needs to be directed. I... Like he I can't no do pay... anything on his own. I have no idea what kind of actor he is outside this. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything besides this that's memorable. Have you seen so... Frost Nixon? No. Okay, it's a Ron Howard movie, so you know it's not very good. He's, it's he's bland directed. at best. <laughs> it's bland at best. Um, but no, I love how just like hamming over the top that performance is. Um, even like he's the son of our maker. He's using his cane. as like a machine gun. Um, I love that. I just, I love how over the top it is. It I, is great, great, great. I was watching this and I'm like, this is, very out of place. I definitely appreciate the bonkers of it, but it's no, no. I don't. I think that's why it doesn't work. It's so it out does of place. work because it's we had a great be... anti-grav battle scene that I was all on board for, and then you have this kind of over choreographed action for another actress in this movie. I don't like Olivia Wilde. Should never have been cast in this movie. Oh, she's great. No, she she, great. no. Okay, okay. You kill Michael Sheen. That's the first way to make this movie better. <laughs> The second way to make this movie better is to cast Karen O instead of Olivia Wilde because Olivia Wilde is doing a Karen O impression. 
And the third Karen. is Karen O is a, the musician, the lead singer of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Literally, if you watch interviews or performances of Karen O and then you watch this movie, Olivia Wilde is looks like Karen O and is doing straight impersonations of Karen O. And the third thing to make this movie better is you do a few more passes on the script to get rid of the cliche stuff, or you don't give it to Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz, who wrote most of Lost. That's Those are my three big issues with this movie, Zach. I had to get them out there. <laughs> Okay, then. Okay, um, we have to talk about Olivia Wilde. Okay, getting back to is Michael Sheen. Is she a good I... actress? Well, no, we've, we've, we've settled it. Michael Sheen is terrible. We've settled that, Zach. <laughs> no, he's delightful in this because I love how cheesy over the top he is. I, I love it. I liked Olivia Wilde in House. That's her best performance, I think. Um, Either House yeah. or Bickford Schmeckler's Cool Ideas, which I don't know if anybody like... else but me has seen. What, number 13 or something? Yeah, she's 13. Yeah. No, she's great in House because she has good chemistry with uh, Hugh Laurie. She's good in Bickford Schmeckler's Cool Ideas because she's not just... This is my problem. I think she's another case of some people find her weirdly attractive, so she needs to be in movies. I find her weirdly attractive. Yeah, a lot of people do, but it's the same thing, like I've said with Zach, with Anya Taylor-Joy, the girl from Split and The Queen's Gambit. Some people think she's attractive, so she needs to be in things. And I rather take the stance of, no, they should be good at their craft before they're in things. Oh, Amelia Clark's another example, because she's terrible, but people are like, yeah, no, she's hot, so she should be in movies. Are you talking about the Dragon Queen? Yes. Anya Taylor-Joy's harder to look at than the other two. Okay, Ben, I want to get your opinion. On a scale of 1 to 10, how similar do Anya Taylor-Joy... And Sid from the Ice Age movies. Look, the sloth Sid from the Ice Age movies. Uh, give me a second. Let me pull it up. If Ben it's... says something, anything less than 10, he's lying. <laughs> uh, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the resemblance is definitely there. Oh, you're like cheek lines. It's like the outline of his face is visible in her cheek lines. Oh, my God. Um, I was going to say some kind of fish, but Sid is right on point. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, I, I, I don't really like Olivia Wilde, and she can be good in things, but if you're doing a straight impression of another person, just cast that person. That's my Could problem. This is the question. Sometimes you can't afford the person you want, so you hire Olivia Wilde. I would imagine Olivia Wilde <laughs> costs more than Karen O. <laughs> Can, can we use that as like a, a clip? Just sometimes you can't afford the person you, you want. So you can't <laughs> that'll, that'll be our, our, our next advertisement. Just a 45 cent <sighs> clip of, you know, if you can't get the people you want or need, you hire Olivia Wilde. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Zach, I, 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 I had to take that big tangent on actors and stuff. But uh, uh, do you want to go back to I, Michael Sheen? I, Michael Sheen is no, no good. <laughs> I know, we've established that. No, I, I like his hamminess and over the top. Um, the one thing I do find kind of inexplicable is they try to make the character, uh, character in quotation marks, of Jem, the person that's like one of the, like, what, the sirens that dresses him before the games. Oh, yeah, um, they uh, try, Garrett, they try to the make, model, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they try to make her into a character, because they actually give her a name, like, she's like, Jem, my name is Jem, and, like, she just sits there in the back, she's basically set dressing after that moment. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, why not just have Olivia Wilde escort him into the city? And it's like, I don't know, there's a bunch of things in this that feel like they're kind of like out of nowhere. Like, oh, there's Flint, there's Kevin Flynn's light cycle. It's the fastest thing on the grid. 
And we see him driving into the city, and that's it. He never uses it again. I'm like, <laughs> well, 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 it's like, well, why is it the fastest one unless it was going to be seen at some point? It's also uh, old, right? Like it's vintage or whatever, so it doesn't make it a lot of sense that it's fast. Well, it's fast because it was something designed by a human. Like whereas everything else is, everything now is part of the stagnation of this <clears throat> world. It's a product of a bygone era, and I think that's why when Rob says the Michael Sheen performance is out of place. I think, again, he can dislike Michael Sheen all he wants. That's fine. But I think the reason why Zeus is so over the top is that he even says that he's a product from like the earliest days of the gaming grid. And that he was, he was created and designed when everything was much more kind of loose and flowing as opposed to now where it's much more kind of constrictive and totalitarian. And I think that's why he's this, again, and that's why Clue also blows him up because he is in, he's an imperfection. Yeah, no, you're and not. I think, you're not wrong there. Yeah, I, I definitely know where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm. This is not a first on this podcast. If if I don't like the actor, I'm pretty much biased towards whatever they do in a movie. <laughs> but yes, no, like again, there's there's nothing wrong. There are inconsistencies in this movie. Um, again, Cora just kind of shows up out of nowhere to save Sam Flynn, and then like we have the part where like they get overwhelmed by all the guards, and her arm gets kind of broken slash erased. And then, like, which is a kind of cool sequence. Like, Kevin Flynn shows up and turns the music off, and the the musicians scoring the soundtrack actually look up to see who turned the music down. And like, that's like, like that's fun. And like that, you guys were I, saying, like, the, I do like that cameo in the in the end of Line Club of Daft Punk. I think that was a really neat touch. I think more movies should do that. Whereas, like. If you have someone who makes the score, or maybe not if it's, like, like, I'm not saying put Hans Zimmer in every fucking Hans Zimmer scored movie, you know? Like, I'm saying, like, if you have a band do it, like, throw them in there. That's fun. But I don't know if, if Zach noticed. I, I would be shocked if Ben noticed. But the bartender at the end of Line Steven Club. Steven Lisberger! Steven Lisberger, the director of the first Tron movie. I was more excited about that cameo than Daft Punk because you actually have to look for Steven Lisberger where they cut to Daft Punk every six seconds when you're in the club. <laughs> I love it. Change the scheme, alter the mood, electrify the boys and girls if you'd be so kind. <laughs> and they both nod at him and they play music. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Again, it's just chewing on the scenery and Rob knows I am a sucker for yes, that. Yes. Speaking of I'm Olivia Wilde, I do have to mention I did – I did get a chuckle, or the movie got a chuckle out of me, which is like a great computer logic or program logic type of joke when they get to old Jeff Bridges' place and the outskirts of the grid, and there's all those books, and Olivia Wilde's like, uh, she's like, he, he's made me read all this philosophy and like nonfiction, but I like the fiction the best by Jules Verne. Do you know Jules Verne? Sure. What's he like? Like, that's a great little computer logic joke. I, I got a chuckle out of that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I said, I, going to your complaints about Olivia Wilde in this movie, it's like, I know you're saying that she's doing a Karen O impersonation, but I also think you have to look at what was popular at the time when it comes to, like, female actors. Remember, this was also the time where, like, Zoe Dash now was, like, blowing up. And it was sure. also the big thing of being, like, the manic pixie dream girl. Mm -hmm. Like, like I think that plays a role into this, like, in the sense of, like, that's why she has the haircut. That's why she has the energy she does. She's playing into that. Again, I, again, it's not it's not Olivia Wilde doing this. It's somebody telling her to do it. Yeah. Um, I don't think there – outside of Jeff Bridges, I don't think there was a lot of improv on the set of this film. Who directed um, – Joseph Kaczynski. I, had a, I knew I had yeah. a notes. He directed – he, he did Oblivion too. 
and Home of the Brave, which is possibly one of the greatest, from what I've been told, one of the greatest movies in the last decade. Oh my god! It's the fire. It's the fire. He's movie. doing the Top Gun sequel next year. This year, fuck this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I guess thing. Like, like, have you ever seen Oblivion? No, but I, no. I know it's what it's the only Tom Cruise 3D movie. That's all I know about it. <laughs> oh, I remember I saw that in theaters. And it's it's by the numbers. I've never I've not seen it again since, but I remember enjoying it because it's very odd. Okay, okay. It's odd. Like it's odd. It's not bizarre, but it's like it's 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 very cliche. But it was kind of thing that happened to Joseph Krasinski. He kind of got he got kind of typecast as someone who makes very visually audacious films, but very narratively straightforward ones. Gotcha. Um, and that's where he kind of had to kind of like reevaluate his career and walk away from like doing like spectacle movies. And now he's doing the top gun sequel, which is going to be nothing but spectacle. <laughs> I don't even know what that movie's about. Like, that movie does not even make sense. Cause Tom Cruise shouldn't be, be allowed to be in that movie. He's too old to be a fighter pilot. <laughs> it literally makes no sense. Well, Zach, you know what I say to that? Uh, you're glib. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got the I, I need, the we've need been, for speed. We've been dancing around something that I wanted to get at. I know we've been talking a lot about Tron Legacy and and mm, kind of going back into Tron here and there. I find these two movies so immensely interesting when compared to the Matrix trilogy. When I watched the first Tron, I was like, holy shit, they're doing so much that the first Matrix did. And the second Matrix. And then when I watched Tron Legacy, and there's that whole thing of the isomorphic programs, like, come into existence, I'm like, that's the opening of the third Matrix, when the two programs, like, have a child, and it's a useless program. I wanted to know, I know Zach knows the Matrix movies. I think, Ben, you mentioned to me when we discussed Keanu Reeves on Patreon that you haven't seen those in a while. But what are your guys' thoughts on, did you pick up any, like, Matrix motifs or or connections when you watched these? Uh, Definitely Matrix and some Star Wars. Like, some of the first Star Wars movie feelings in in whenever, um, in in the first Tron movie. When Jeff Bridges and Tron are like sneaking around and doing stuff, I was like, "This feels like when Luke's on that ship." Oh, when they're all like walking around the universe and trying in Tron, they're trying to like get to the wherever they have to go. Yeah, yep, oh, yeah, okay, definitely okay. That, had those vibes. Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean the the first Tron, one of the first scenes is we get that like the guards are uh, uh, escorting some person to the games, and he's like, "I'm an accounting program." Like my user's not gonna like if I die in the games, and I'm like, this is the this is literally the Matrix. Like you have all these different programs that know what they are. <laughs> I guess I didn't remember that about the Matrix. I was a little bit surprised that that's what was happening in Tron when I when, like, when I first started watching. I was like, we're dealing with like tax programs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah what uh, the character Rom or Ram is a is an actuarial program, and he speaks in terms of like return on investment and stuff like that. <laughs> But Zach, what did you think about the? I don't. I actually rewatched the first Matrix in like the last two or three weeks, so I had it more fresh in my head. Uh, what did you think about that connection? Um, I think it's. It, I, I now that you bring it up, it's obviously something that that the Wachowskis were aware of. I don't think you get to where they got, especially in that '90s time period, without watching Tron a couple of times. Plus, sure. it was it was always Tron was always that eccentric film I could see being right up their alley. Um. I didn't pick up on anything. Like once you point out these similarities, it's hard to ignore them. But nothing really hit me. Um, 
when it comes to Tron, like I never, I, I feel like Tron, even though like it's kind of like what Ben said, it's the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. There's, it's very straightforward. I don't think it's borrowing from anything in any sort of meaningful way. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't think if like, even Tron Legacy, I don't think borrows from anything that's not already kind of ingrained in pop culture. Yeah. I don't yeah, just I, the arc like, several stories, but yeah, like it's not like how I think we've talked about a lot when it comes to star Wars and other things where it's like, Oh, you can see like, okay, Lord Dern is wearing a hunger games costume in that movie. Like there's nothing in either Tron movie where I look at it. And I'm like, Oh, this is clearly pulling from that. Unless it's intentionally. So like a black hole poster in Sam Flynn's room in Tron legacy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I like, definitely no. felt that way with Tron Legacy, where it was it was more of the touches, like I said, the isomorphic programs being, you know, created in this computer universe. The Matrix gets at that with the third movie at the beginning. But I, I'm a big fan of just the idea that, you know, nobody ever does something the best or correctly right out of the gate. There has to be someone that comes before and falls on their sword and fails. And after watching Tron again, I was like, that's what Tron did. Like, Tron was not a huge success. Everybody knew about it. It was a, it was like a, a technological achievement. But you really needed that time to just pull out everything in the culture in 1999 to make The Matrix as important as it was. I guess, Zach, if we ever did a series called The Movies That Did Change the World, we'd have to do The Matrix because that was just well, the biggest yeah. thing. But yeah. I, I definitely saw so much comparison. Like, Jeff Bridges in the in the first Tron movie, you know, he figures out since he's a user, he can like interact with the environment and like get the the recognizer to work and stuff like that. Oh, that yeah, he's me... a builder from the Lego movies. Yeah, or Neo <laughs> or the one from the Matrix is what I was going for, but yes, and I just I couldn't help but like tie these things together. Then you have like Sark who's basically like your agent Smith, you know, in the in the trilogy and stuff like that. And I I think one of my biggest issues that I know Zach and I have talked about off mic before is that the Wachowskis are so almost reclusive. They barely give interviews and stuff. We've never really heard them talk about Tron, and I would love to hear them say for sure if it was an influence or not. But I definitely agree with you, Zach, that this had to be something that they came up with, grew up with, and and had total influence by. I think also there's a benefit to The Matrix because not only did the Wachowskis and the entire creative team behind The Matrix in the late 90s know more about computers because they were a more fleshed out thing. I think that's another failing of the original Tron where it's just like, yeah, computers are a thing, but we don't really know what they are yet. And that I definitely well, yeah. got of. Well, that's the thing. Computers were like in, it was like it was the mainframe. That's yeah. kind of what it was. It wasn't like, oh, stuff that IBM did. It's like, well, what is that? And it would take basically a three, a two-hour long lecture to explain, to give someone a basic gist of it. That was such uh, an interesting idea of the um, the we uh, we watched the Tron making of the original Tron documentary, and they talk about how they had people on set, or maybe not on set, but working with the guys that were just starting to think about the concept of a personal computer. And that really puts it in perspective where you're like, wow, that's how early this was. Like there was no like, oh, I can go on my computer. Computers were this thing that just existed in labs across the countries. Yeah. And that's even when you hear stuff like when the MCP is saying things like, oh, I'm hacking Washington, D.C. in the Kremlin. <laughs> it's like it's like, wow, that's really ahead of its time. Like it makes sense now. But I wonder how many people even understood what the word hack means in 1982. Yeah. Th- I mean, there's also some some kind of other things that I appreciated, um, you know, as, as a developer now, like the end of line thing that, that 
I, I know that there are at least some programming languages where you used to have to identify the end of a line. Um, I love so, like, that too, Ben. When he's like, he's it's it's like sending a telegram, and he goes instead of stop, it's end of line. And I'm like, yep, that's a that makes more sense for a movie than saying semicolon, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I don't know. I I definitely found some of that stuff interesting. The I, at one point, I think Sark calls one of his people a, a null something or other. Yep, a, a null pointer or something. And I was like, yeah, that's. It's all stuff. I love the little <laughs> uh, stuff. Clue, clue, and then Kevin Flynn in the first movie. They meet up with the bit that can either say yes or no in quick succession, and I was like, "That's." I was like, "That's pretty fun. I like that." I just yeah. like it. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed that as well. My thing is interesting. I find it fascinating what elements of the first movie they deliberately chose to ignore in the second film. Like, you know, we don't get any of the tanks. We don't get bit. We don't get Cindy Morgan's Yori. Mm -hmm. Like, it's weird that like, and I guess this is one of those things more on, again, it's weird that for once I'm not the one delving into the philosophical issues of a movie is Rob knows that's my crutch, kind of my crutch with a lot of discussions. But like, this movie is called Tron Legacy, yet there is no Tron outside of one flashback. Well, that – okay, this is where I had to bring up – this is where something I think it was different for me watching it for the first time for this recording because as Ben and Zach know, as our audience knows, I have played all of the Kingdom Hearts games. And there is yes, a Tron Legacy world in Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance, and it is a major, major early on point in that playthrough that Rinsler is Tron. Like, you have Jeff Bridges and like telling Sora, because Sora goes back to the grid. Well, in Kingdom Hearts 2, it's Space Paranoids, which is a great reference to the first movie. In Kingdom Hearts uh, Dream Drop Distance, it's the grid. Because there's a whole – okay, I'm going to get into the lore. Kingdom Hearts 2, you're not going into the grid. You're going into a copy of the grid that Ansem the Wise made for his computer in Hollow Bastion slash Radiant Garden. And Sora and the gang are trying to get information about Ansem the Wise. They have to fight through space paranoids to get that information. They have to beat the MCP and all that stuff. You fight the MCP and Sark in the second iteration of that world. But you meet Tron. And then in Dream Drop Distance – Sora goes back to the grid, and he's like, oh, I want to meet – he's like, I, maybe I'll see Tron again because this looks like Tron World. And very early on, the characters of Olivia Wilde, Garrett Hedlund, and Jeff Bridges, which you meet, they say, oh, Tron was corrupted and became Rinsler. And I just knew that from playing that video game. I was shocked in the movie that it doesn't come up for like three-quarters of the way that it's like, oh, that's yep. actually Tron. He got corrupted. And the thing that blows me away is that most of the characters talking about how Rinsler is Tron seems like it's ADR because whenever they mention it, they're not looking at the camera until yeah. that one overhead shot where he's like, Tron, what have you become? And I'm like, so wait, was this an afterthought that they were like, well, Tron needs to be in Tron Legacy? <laughs> that's the thing. Like, and this kind of goes to the point where like, I was getting at with, with Ben is that like, I Tron to me is a interesting I, I I think he is an interesting character in the first movie. Um in the second one, it's like like uh, he like I don't know. I think they blew all their money on doing DH Jeff Bridges because at the end of the day, who wants to see a DH Bruce Boxleitner other than me? I was thinking that like how do they how do they make Tron in that movie without, you know, 
CGI. You cast him. an yeah. you cast an actor that looks like a young Bruce Boxleitner. That's how you do it. Like, no, you cover the, his face with a mask the whole movie and have him say one line purred, at the end. <laughs> and, and, and he purrs and he purrs for the rest of the movie. I, like Rob, please insert a clip of the purring sound that Rinsler makes all throughout the film. I don't. I don't um, know if I'd ever thought of it as purring before. I thought of it as like you know data crunching because he's a program. <laughs> I don't even know. Like it sounds more like a. So like it's. Zach, I have to interject here. You're talking about the things that they like intentionally didn't bring into this movie, but my so I, I guess I, I have maybe some questions. Like maybe I didn't understand something, but it sounded like Jeff Bridges made a new grid after the first one. So like yeah, my my thought about it was why is it so similar to the first one? Like why why is the grid he made so similar to the grid that already existed? Um, and like why do they still have identity discs and why do they have light cycles and like why i mean obviously they took some liberty he took some liberties and changed some things but like the recognizers still exist like why they make the recognizers like what? well i think it's because a you like, okay the real world explanation is they need to transplant the iconography from the first film because nostalgia of course. The the in canon explanation is I don't know I would ima- I, I don't remember because there was the comic book there was even a video game Tron Evolution which takes place I think like during the events of the like the purge on Clue's part or the coup I think the explanation is some of this stuff just kind of comes with comes with the territory of like the like the digital domain it's just okay like if you have like the thing I don't know. Because we see very early on the film, the first thing that Kevin Flynn does is he creates Clue, and it's just vast open space. So all this stuff, I don't know, maybe it just comes with just inherently transplanting it. When you cry, like, why not? You need things. Um, recognizers are clearly a um, emblem of totalitarianism in the Tron universe. So um, they actually, I don't know. In, in terms of in terms of programming languages, they actually kind of remind me of Garbage Collection, uh, oh, yeah, which is yeah. something that that for our audience you know it's it's something that that programming languages are built to do so that you don't have to manually dispose variables like when they stop being used they just get garbage collected um and so it frees up storage and stuff like that so that's kind of what what they remind me of but that's not exactly what their purpose is here it's um you know in the same vein though so so my thought on that on ben is um, in the first movie, we do have that opening near the opening that scene with Clue, where Jeff Bridges is trying to get Clue to find the proof that he stole his video games, but Clue gets like blown up or shocked or some shit like that. He is tortured to death. Yes, well, I do love the effect when he's getting tortured and he like looks all oh, pixelated. That was really cool that, in the first movie. <laughs> that reminded me. I, at that point, I was just like, "Jokes on you! I was not programmed to feel pain." <laughs> <laughs> i i was thinking in the in i'm kind of torn i don't know for sure but my idea would be you would hope in the second movie jeff bridges kevin flynn realized the error of the first system and created a new clue but if for some reason he based it a lot off of the original clue code clue would revert to the world he knows and the perfection he knows that's not stated in the movie at all, I think, but that's my thought is why you we know might clue, get so much you, recognition from the first you movie. Know, do you know what Clue stands for? Codified Likeness, likeness Unity. You, 
you, utility is, it, is what I remember. Is it Unity or Utility? Okay. Utility. Because um, that's the thing. Technically, Clue and Tron Legacy is Clue 2.0. Utility. You're right. Utility. Yes. So, I was yeah, thinking that, Unity because of, you know, bringing things together like the perfect system. But no, it is in the credits. It's Utility. Yeah. But, yeah. It, so okay. the, when they show Jeff Bridges creating Clue 2.0... Like they show him like what like sitting in front of a mirror or something or like sitting in, like he just sits in front of something and is like you exist now and also you're a program. It's and very witchcrafty, yes. Yeah, so like <laughs> you are to create the perfect system. I so like yeah. I didn't, I didn't feel as if there was really any real coding involved whatsoever. And he talks about it kind of kind of being a copy of himself. So like I I thought maybe he figured out a way like to that's like, a, like that's the thing he's but again that goes back to like the um, misguided like arrogance of youth oh, is yeah. that like it's meant to be a ref, it's meant to be his reflection because yeah. he says that he goes I couldn't be here all the time between raising you and like managing Encom I needed someone that basically would sit there be able to run the grid when I wasn't there but is essentially me and that's why when he like it's it's literally he does this into a mirror. And it creates a a likeness of himself. It's it's his young reflection, and that's the thing where it's like it's the idea of just this, like um, when you're think about it, it's the idealism of youth. Everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be pristine. If it doesn't fall into that sort of very defined box, it doesn't serve a purpose. And yet, over time, you learn that the beauty comes from the imperfections. And yes, is that very, very archaic and, and almost like what platitudes? But like, it's it's the overall theme. It's one of the themes in the movie. On top of the fact too that I think about by the end of the film, you like you have it like. It's not just Sam Flynn that's losing his father. It's also Cora. Cora's losing her father figure, and that's the thing is that you have the children learning to kind of rise above, literally. What came before them, where the third child, Clue, who's not really a child, he's the younger personification of Kevin Flynn, has to be reincorporated or remerged in order for Kevin Flynn to kind of go on to the next, to rise beyond that stagnation that Ben referenced earlier. It's, it's almost like – no, I like that, Zach, because it's almost like Clue is – I mentioned before uh, talking about uh, old Jeff Bridges being in a state of arrested development – but Clue is basically like an archive, like a snapshot of what Kevin Flynn was at that certain snapshot. point. Yes. And yeah. and the real Kevin Flynn doesn't realize his mistakes until they've already been made by that younger version of himself. That's kind of interesting because, I mean, we, we've also mentioned that the real Kevin Flynn was in, in some kind of arrested development. Mm -hmm. Like, in some way, he was also just a snapshot of himself. Yeah, yeah. But he also aged, so he was just like an aging... Snapshot and and what is it like? It's the the whole Peter Pan thing. Like nobody likes to see an old infant, you know. It's so like it's uh no, yeah. That that's absolutely. I I dig that that idea for this movie for sure. I think it adds a layer to it that I wasn't really picking up on, but is very interesting because at least you know when when real Kevin Flynn is stuck in this this state, he has this goal about the the isomorphic programs and stuff like that which is very different from his younger self because the younger self kind of can't see it the way that this older or I don't want to say older, but more experienced. Well, so is. we referred to him as, as the younger Kevin Flynn, but he, he's a little like younger Kevin Flynn, obviously at some point was able to grow to see the value of ISOs. So it's not just young. It's like young and, and stubborn. 
Sure, sure. Like resistant, I think young and resistant to change, which, well, is, I think, which is kind of I, interesting. I think the clue thing is also kind of like a, a, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of a small mind. It's that like he's interpreting his mandate as strictly as possible. To put this in titanic terms, Rob's going to love this, oh it's, women, it's women and children only. Yeah. And that's the thing. He's he's interpreting it in the most narrow way possible and is not able to see things beyond that very limited scope. Well, so that that kind of points at it's for one, it's not a perfect copy of Kevin Flynn at that time. Well, it's it's a it's a perfect copy as far as what a computer thinks of what a perfect copy as a human being is. Sure. Yeah. I I can get on board with that. Ah, yeah, but I like it, that. I like that. It's definitely limited to that um overly literal interpretation of commands. That's and that's what it comes down to is that computers are not smart or dumb. They only do what you tell them to do. They do exactly. Unless exactly if you don't unless expand <laughs> unless you expand their parameters, they're gonna do exactly that forever. And that's kind of that's the point of all this is that like Kevin Flynn had to like, that's like where he has to learn that like there was more to like, he says that like, I spent so much time down here yet at the end of the day, I would have given it all up just for one more day with you, Sam is like, he realizes that even though this is where I think I found my, my breakthrough, my miracle, it's not reality. Mm -hmm. Could it, it, could, could it be? And that's why, uh, what's her name? Cora is the miracle is because she is that bridge between the worlds. And it's not until that moment that he realizes that reality is still more important than the grid. It's kind of interesting that you, you mentioned, um, like, the the clue. He could, like, grow. But, like, the whole time, or at least not, not you know, for a large part of the movie, he's trying to get Ke uh, Ke real Kevin Flynn's identity disc. Which, in essence, if he were to, to kind of consume it or merge it with himself, would force him to grow. Because he I would... Think he would go I don't know experiences of Kevin Flynn, but he would. I, I don't know. I don't think. I don't think he. I, I don't think it was to merge. It was meant to. See no, it wasn't to merge. He didn't that, want to merge with it. He wanted to use it as a tool. It was a key to basically unlock the portal. It was. I. I think my understanding was that it contained the information he needed to to be able to pull that world into the real world or something. Yes, like that. exactly. Yeah. And that's the other giant cliche of this movie is that the robots want to leave the computer world and get into the real world. <laughs> well, it's not the robots. It's just the one he's creating an army. And he, again, he's not do I think he's not doing it to be megalomaniacal. He's doing it as he's interpreting his mandate. That's and, the thing. He's like Clue is not technically megalomaniacal. He's just someone who's interpreting his mandate to the most extreme. He's a fundamentalist, weirdly enough, maybe more than anything else. Well, sure. So, I mean, I, I guess maybe I didn't say it the right way, but to, as I mentioned it earlier, it's like he wants to delete imperfection, and he sees humanity as imperfection, knowing that humanity exists. I mean, there's a fucking so, Jimmy he, Neutron episode about this. He, he actually doesn't say that humanity is imperfection. In the movie, he says he says something like, We'll deal with whatever we find when we get there, more or less. But this is like room for expanse. Yes, you're you are absolutely right. I I think I I give no credit to the writers of this movie because they wrote so much Lost, which is that idea. They come up with something cliche and then they go, "Let me bust out the thesaurus and make it weird and quirky." <laughs> but we know what it means at the end of the day. Sure, but I mean, I think it's it's an important distinction in this movie that he didn't know whether they needed to destroy the users. He just knew that the users kept them where they were and that they needed to expand. It was kind of like Manifest Destiny. 
That's, 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 thing, fair. Though. Clue, that's fair. But Clue, that's the thing, though. Clue never knew any other user beyond Kevin Flynn. Right. That's well, the thing. No, There's a reason no, why that you... Because we know in the movie that Clue's the one who sent the page to Alan to get Sam Flynn into the real world. No, no, because he, pa- he sent he sent a page hoping someone would open the portal. Yeah, he didn't that's care the, if anyone came through. That's, well, that's, well, yes, but that, doesn't that imply that he knows about something greater? He does. That's why he's putting this whole plan into motion. He, he is aware of something greater, but like you said, he's going to worry about it once he gets there. It's just yeah. like he's already he's already made the perfect world in the get in the grid. So what's the next logical step? It's the only next platform he's aware of. He doesn't know the extent to which it exists because at one point we get the what the little hologram of a planet Earth. Um, that's the thing. No, like I said, I don't think the movie was ever designed to be interpreted to this sort of depth. But I think the fact that we're able to kind of chew on it this long, I think, give, at least gives it more credit than most people normally do. Sure. No, I see what you're saying. I, I guess what I'm saying is that I definitely took it as he had some more knowledge about the outside world. He so there he are things, there are a few things in the movie that that make me think his knowledge is pretty limited. Um, one of them is like. He says that that Flynn kept the grid to himself and he didn't let anyone else in there. So like Zach's mentioning, like he didn't interact. So like I don't know where all these programs supposedly are coming from because I, I guess they're not. Con- I don't know how it's connected, if if at all, to like, like the real internet. So like I don't exactly know. It's not. Where these programs- it's a hundred. It's a hundred percent. They make a very big point of that in the behind the scenes stuff. Like no internet at all. It seems okay, like so- it's it's separated from Encom as well, right? Yeah. The, the new grid is yeah. The new grid, yeah, yeah. The new grid, yeah. So I don't I don't know what these other programs are. Um, or where they're supposed to have come from in the lore, but it de- they definitely make a point to say like this is a very secluded island. Like this is um, the island that Black Panther's from. Fucking, it's just hit and you know whatever. What's that place called? Black, Black Panther, Panther Land. Black Panther Anaconda. I think. Wak- Wakanda. Yeah. Anaconda. Anna, okay. Anna, yeah. Anna Wakanda. Angela Anaconda. Yes. <laughs> all of the things that we've said. It is all those. No, that you you bring up some good points there, Ben. Which is, I think that's maybe something we had to get into eventually with Tron Legacy. That I wanted to know if Zach knew more about. It seemed to me from the I didn't do a lot of research on the second movie. I was really into the documentary on Tron, and I love all that behind the scenes stuff. Was Disney planning like a trilogy <gasps> for Tron I Legacy? Because I when I so watch that, I, I am so upset by the ending of Tron Legacy, where it's just Olivia Wilde looking amazed at trees, and I'm like, that's the fucking <laughs> the ending? Sun. The sun. Yeah, she sees the sunrise, and another, once again, it's people that wrote for Lost, so what's the most beautiful thing? Sunrise! Okay, perfect, we never need to think about anything again. Fucking, I hate that cliche. But, Zach, was this planned to be some big franchise reboot trilogy type well, of thing? okay. Oh God, Rob! You're speaking my language now. All right, everybody. That's put the on, only put way on this your movie di- makes sense. <laughs> put on your Disney cap, everybody. Um, all right. So, quick, quick. Oh, hold on. Quick question for Ben before okay. we get into this, Zach. Ben, do you think Walt Disney's head is cryogenically frozen? We need to get yes, Ben's they opinion made, on this. They made a biopic about we it. We know what Zach and I think about this. We need to know what Ben thinks about this. Do you think his head is cryogenically frozen? And follow up question. When they unfreeze it, it's going to say how much he hates the Jews. 
<laughs> the second one wasn't a question, but sure. Um, I I don't think I have any knowledge about Walt Disney's head, so I don't know. Do if you I had think guess, Walt Disney's frozen head would be angry that Brad Bird directed Tomorrowland? <laughs> We're getting to the real questions now, Zach. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know any of the things you're talking about. Okay, that's fair. Okay, Zach, please now continue. We, I, I have my Disney hat on. I just forced a weird Disney hat onto Ben's head with that question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like the store. Okay, because Disney for years had been trying to get a Tron sequel off the ground, but it always kind of languished in like like how it wasn't development hell because it never got that far. But they kind of never knew what to do with it. Um, in the early 2000s, they had a game called Tron 2.0 Killer App where, like, you're Alan Bradley's son, Jet, and you go into, like, the grid. I think it's an Xbox game. I have. I've played a couple of times. It's fun for what it is. Um, but, like, the budget for Tron Legacy has always been reported at, like, $170 million. And the film made around $400 million in, like, when it was finally kind of done in, like, early 2011. Okay. And was like, oh, like it really didn't make that much money. And it's like, well, yeah, because like this was before like the foreign box office exploded. We were just on the precipice of like China opening up to like really a lot of foreign films. And so like a four hundred million dollars for like a twenty sub twenty five plus year sequel isn't that bad. And two, the $170 million, from my understanding, from what I've read over the years, is that they roped in all the other times they tried to get this greenlit, all the other times they put money into, like, like oh, productions, okay. and it never got yeah. off the ground. So, like, from what I understand, that, that is inflated, that budget, to the point where it wasn't literally what Tron Legacy cost. I would imagine Tron Legacy would probably was in the ballpark, probably anywhere from 125 to $150 million. It still was an expensive movie, but it was never that high. Um, the story from what I understand is that Tron legacy was meant to conclude the Kevin Flynn story. Mm -hmm. And then it was going to be a whole new trilogy after this. Cause if you go to that boardroom sequence very early in the film, oh, you have Killian Murphy, Murphy there. Yeah. You have him there as Edward Dillinger jr. And in the bonus features for Tron legacy on the blu-ray, there's a feature of him talking to the master control program. Ooh. And it's like, so like the big thing was like, oh boy, they're bringing back the master control program for like the next trilogy. And it's like, okay, like that's an interesting idea. Like that's where it was going to go. Like Killian Murphy was definitely going to be the villain of this going forward. That's why he's kind of sprinkled in here. And so like everybody also has to keep in mind, like when this film was greenlit in 2008, this is before they owned Marvel. Like yes. Disney had this problem in like the mid to late 2000s where like they had the like little girls and girls demographic locked up, but they were having a hard time getting boys. That's why like, like Tangled wasn't called Rapunzel. It's the reason why instead of the Snow Queen, it's Frozen. It was like they wanted to basically make these things as gender neutral as possible. And it also led to the way that Disney just started acquiring like male properties. They started, they acquired Marvel, they acquired Lucasfilm. They were doing all this stuff to get the like boys men demographic. And that's why like things would later go on with Star Wars where no one could really figure out why they tried making Star Wars into a women's franchise. Even though it was like the reason why they bought it was for a very 
for a contradictory reason. Um, so like, no, so they kind of like in Rob knows from this time period, like they tried to literally do anything they could. They threw everything at the wall, whether it be Tron, Prince of Persia, um, the Lone Ranger, like they <laughs> sat there like Mars and Eve's moms, like they threw everything at the wall oh, hoping it would stick mars need when mom. it came mars to like mom. Didn't, didn't zemeckis produce that yes he did oh, God, it also ki- it, it, and it killed uh motion capture that's the thing is that like that that was their game plan they wanted this so they threw everything at the wall they could hoping something would stick yeah and out of all those trauma was the one that stuck the most but just like they didn't ever know what to do with it like it made money it just didn't make as much money as they would like plus when it came to tron legacy the toys just sat on the shelf okay like that was the thing like kids didn't go see tron legacy it was kind of like the same thing that happened to pacific rim a couple years later it was like you had like men like in their mid to late 20s and older went to go see that movie yeah it wasn't a franchise that hooked children and that's why they kind of never knew what to do with tron because like that's the problem with disney now is that like you can't just make a movie and have it be successful it has to make money on every it's the company is so vertically integrated now it needs to make money on every single level or else they're not going to do anything with it. And that's where I keep trying to explain to people with Star Wars, and Rob's heard this diatribe a thousand times, is that like these properties are only as good to them as long as they make money. They're, they're kind of like they're the girls and Disney's the pimp. It's like, it, like once you stop like handing over the money, Wayne Brady's going to have to choke a bitch. <laughs> and that's the problem is that like Tron got choked out. Lone Ranger got choked out. Like Oz the Great and Powerful like literally made over half a billion dollars. But because the budget was so high and because they really couldn't do anything with it, like I don't think there was a lot of merchandise and just it, it wasn't that type of movie. They didn't try to sell it as that type of movie. So it just died despite the fact that it made the money. So how does, how does that lead to them making Star Wars a uh, female-friendly? No, nobody can figure that out. That that and that's where people's that's where it's inexplicable to us the layman. But it also comes down to like, okay, what what is Kathleen Kennedy? It's like, what are her politics? What is her perspective on gender politics? And it's like, well, that's the thing. Is that like they could have like think about when the. Uh, board, well, what's it? The shareholder, not shareholders. Oh my lord! The board of directors decides to sign off on this purchase, and you install a CEO that has a very different way of doing things. It comes down to like, okay, it's 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 weird. It's it's weird. The same thing goes for Marvel. Um, like like they'll try shoving things in there just to kind of appease people. It, it it's anyone's guess. It's Hollywood. We all know the insane stuff that happens behind closed doors there. Um, but no, that's kind of why they bought these things. But think about it. Like they, like, and that also goes back to the infamous story about John Carter. Like John Carter was like, the story was that like, by the time that film was being like marketed, Disney knew they were going to acquire Lucasfilm. It was just a matter of like doing the paperwork. So they kind of let that film die because it was like, we really don't need this anymore. Like that was another one of their attempts. Like I already mentioned, like Lone Ranger, Prince of Persia, um, 
they just didn't need it anymore because they figured, okay, we already have our epic space franchise. It's just going to take a couple years to get it off the ground. So we really don't need to pursue this anymore. And the urban legend around John Carter is that they just let it die because they just didn't. It was just like, okay, you already sunk too much money into this. It is just let it go and hope for the best. It's weird. Disney's a weird company, man. Like that's what Rob knows where I spend a lot of my time thinking about this stuff. And now it's even stranger because, like, everything's now on streaming, so you don't even have box office numbers to kind of look at and gauge. So we'll never know how successful or unsuccessful anything is anymore. It's genuinely anyone's guess. I thought, Zach, you were going to say the objectively correct answer is that the force is female. We know that, don't we? Well, that the, the force we, yes, midichlorians yes, are all yes. female? <laughs> yeah, there's a t-shirt that corroborates that somewhere. That is exactly why they made this <laughs> the Mary Sue franchise. I'm just saying words I've heard before now. <laughs> Rob's just repeating stuff he hears on the YouTube. Yes. No, I, I, uh, I bring up this whole kind of sequel uh, or franchise of Tron, which I think you answered fantastically, because there is so much more going on with Disney than just Tron, as we know. It's its whole all the moving parts. But that's how I felt. I'm glad you mentioned it. That beginning where we see um, Dillinger Jr. played by Cillian Murphy. Do we do we know if it's Cillian? Do we know if it's Killian? The answer is no. It's he has to, no, no. It's he has to come on this podcast to correct us. It's that's our rule. It's it doesn't. No, it's Cillian. We're clearly in disagreement. We're never going to answer this question. He he comes on the podcast and tells us how to pronounce his name. That's our rule. Remember that. His name is Rob. His name is Scarecrow. His name is Robert Fisher from Inception. <laughs> and why would you was go Scarecrow in... before Jonathan Crane? <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't think of his name. I couldn't think of his like real name. Uh, I also love his credit in um, Dunkirk, Shivering Soldier. Oh God! Oh yeah, he kills George. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't have a name. He's Shivering Soldier. Um, but no. So Dunkirk. When when this movie started, when Tron Legacy started, and I saw Cillian Murphy. Slash Robert Fisher, slash Jonathan Crane, Dr. Jonathan Crane, slash Shivering Soldier, slash Red Eye, I guess, if we want to go there. I don't even know what He is Red Eye. <laughs> that's his name. His name is Red Eye. Red Red Eye. Eye. But I thought, I was like, oh, he's going to be the Sark of this one. Like, he's going to show up in the grid or something. Nope. Never happens. He's, so that's, he's in one scene. He's in one scene, and that's where I'm clear, like, how do you hire an actor maybe not as big as he is now after like an inception and a Dunkirk or maybe he's not as well known in, in in this era, 2010, I'm not sure, but I'm like, how do you have him for just one scene? This has to be like sequel bait. He he would be the villain going forward. Yeah. No. And that's what it was. And just, this did not make the money and the merchandise didn't sell. That was the issue. Do you think the sequel would have been now that Olivia Wilde is in the real world? Like, Sam Flynn would have had to protect her from the ENCOM people? Like, the first act would be somehow I... they realize that part of Kevin Flynn's grid got into the real world and they're chasing after her? Like, I've never heard anything concrete on what Tron... The, neither the have I. I'm just, step in the Tron I'm just trying to no, brainstorm like, I, on where it would go, you know? I, but that's the thing, though. It was always supposed to be a new... Tr- like, there's a reason why it wasn't called Tron 2, like, like Tron Boogaloo. It was meant to be like it was meant to wrap up one story and like it was going to be another trilogy. And that's why like the the okay, basically after that, the only two bits of information we have on Tron three is that like in 2015, Disney green was on the verge of greenlighting Tron three, 
Then Tomorrowland bombs and it kills Tron three. It, it it can't the same way that Solo's opening weekend killed the Solo Boba Fett film. Mm-hmm. Tomorrowland bombing killed Tron three in 2015. They were on the verge of greenlighting it and it just nope nope we're not taking we're not taking risk anymore. And that was their thing. We're like Tomorrowland was the last audacious film. We are not taking risk anymore. And that was that was the company policy. Like they will do weird things occasionally, like a wrinkle in time or like the nutcracker in the four realms. They will do oddities here and there and just see just like and it's just more let's just see what happens. Um but that was kind of the last thing that we ever heard from Tron until earlier this year. It's a couple of months ago. It was it was like deadline reported that Jared Leto has signed on. John, uh, what was his name? John Krasinski, Joseph Groundlow, his name is Krasinski, the director of Tron Legacy. He had left the project, but the writer of the of apparently there's a writer attached to Tron 3. And he also co-wrote the Michael Douglas and Kirk Douglas movie, like All in the Family. And like he's also like co-writing the Thomas and Friends movie, which I just found out in research for this episode. Is this are um, you are you mentioning because I found it in my research that this would be Tron Ares. Is that what you're referring to? I have heard that name. It's at this point I think it's just called Tron Three. Okay. It's okay. just meant to be like it's the third film in the franchise. Um, all I know is that for years Jared Leto's been attached to this. Clearly, this is something that's very much in his realm. Um, I, I don't know. That's the thing. I don't think Disney knows exactly. They clearly have a script. They have an actor attached to it. All they need now is a director. Um, I don't know. Uh, the only thing that's that's helping Tron right now, um, and this was all prior to COVID. Was that they were they decided because I think it was in oh God, it might be in Shanghai or Hong Kong Disneyland. They had a Tron roller coaster that was really popular, <laughs> and how and, and the thing was that like you laugh all you want. This is the God's honest truth. <laughs> um, what happened was that like it became a really big thing that was on social media because it, it's 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 a it's a roller coaster that's like Tron Legacy neon colors, and at nighttime it's really neat to look at. Other than that, it's your typical roller coaster. Um, and so they they brought it over to Magic Kingdom. It was supposed to open in time for the 50th anniversary of the Magic Kingdom, which is 2021. Mm-hmm. Because of COVID, I know they've had to stop construction on it for now, I think, for months. And plus the idea of having a 50th anniversary celebration for the parks is kind of out of the question. But I think that was their plan was to open the roller coaster, increase the brand awareness of the Tron IP, and then have a then a year within a year have a movie in theaters. Okay, okay. And that w- and that was the plan. But everybody forgets that like they had Tron Uprising, the TV show yep. that was meant to carry the franchise until Tron Three came out between Legacy and, and Tron Three. And what happened was Tron Uprising, I guess, never got the ratings they wanted it to have. Because I remember, and this is something you can actually look up. They eventually slot a new episode to de- debut on Monday nights at midnight. Midnight. Yep. Jeez. And it was a great. Sh- it was a great show. Like I, we were talking about this in the pre-show recording, but like it was a really fun show, and it just got dumped because it just didn't. And it's what Disney does. It's it's their mo when something doesn't perform the way they want it to. It doesn't matter if it's successful. If it doesn't meet the the benchmarks that they set for it internally, they will just set it adrift. 
in that this show was great. It had fair. It, it, the main actor is Elijah Wood. You have Lance Henderson as the bad guy. You have all this voice talent. We were going back to like the Rob like voice talent rants. He would sit there, lose his mind, reading off all the voices, all the voice actors. Oh, I love me Lance um, Henderson. <laughs> oh, he's great in it. Like he's a great. I can't mean like it was genuinely a great show. And like you had Bruce Boxleitner back as Tron. Okay. Um, like it, it was. It was great. And like it ended on a cliffhanger. And it just. It, it it never got canceled. It just kind of just disappeared. Like they never issued a statement on it. It's what Disney does. When they want you to forget something, they just suck the oxygen out of it. And it just poof. Like it's on Disney Plus. Like if you want to go watch it, like it was great. Like considering that I've only I haven't seen the show in like almost ten years. Watching the like the uh, the series finale was a lot of fun. Um, especially like in Super Duper HD. But like it's just again, there was a book, there was a video game, there was a TV show, there was a movie. There was a movie, there was toys, there was merchandise. Like I remember like this was back freshman year of college. There was a kid wearing a Daft Punk t-shirt um, from Tron Legacy, like in the dining hall, and, and Sal's like, Oh, better go tell that guy that Zach's gonna start jerking off on him. And I'm like, <laughs> You're not wrong. Like, you're not wrong. <laughs> oh god. I mean, but just I, I know I, I think I've known this tangentially, but you just reminded me of it. Just getting Jared Leto for anything these days. Why? Stop it! Because Stop he, it! I, 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 it depends. Like this is his. Like remember we talked about him doing the Fantastic Planet remake in live action. Remember that, Rob? Well, yeah, but we talked about it, everybody doing the Fantastic Planet remake. <laughs> but like that's the thing, though, is that like if anybody, if I, if, in all honesty, Jared Leto's the type of person that like the last thing I would want is a boilerplate Tron movie. Like, I don't want boilerplate Tron. I want something dynamic and exciting. Sure. And say what sure. you will about Jared Leto. He is not, he is not pedestrian. He is, that's one thing he is not. He's no, a lot he's of things. He's not pedestrian, but he's not, but he's not, not good either. Quick, quick shot to Ben. What's the best Jared Leto performance, Ben? He's in 30 Seconds to Mars or something? <laughs> Thank you. That is the right answer. He's not a good that actor. Right. He's a good musician. Like, if you ever see those videos of 30 Seconds to Mars performing, he does this thing where he will, like, sing to the crowd without a microphone, and his voice is so powerful, it can fill, like, stadiums. Really? Like, he is a fantastic singer and musician. I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything I've really liked him in, except maybe Requiem for a Dream. The only reason I like him in Lord of War is because he's playing such a goofball that wants to, like, outline the country of Ukraine with cocaine for most of the movie. Like, I, I, I mean, and yes, Zach, here we go. What did he win awards for? Dallas Buyers, Buyers Club. Club. Fucking, yep. that's also not a great movie. It's an okay movie. So he's also in uh, the new Morbius movie, right? Yes, he's going to be Morbius. Yes. Is that is that ever getting released? We saw a trailer for that before Tenet, uh, Heather, Justin, and I. And I remember Justin laughing audibly at that trailer. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's a movie they probably shouldn't make. Yeah, who knows Morbius uh, from the comics, right? I mean, I remember, I remember Morbius from the old Spider-Man cartoon and, like... The thing that I the, the reason I don't think they should make it is because like it doesn't appear that Spider Man's going to be in it. So so that's no a good point. He, that's but but that's the thing though is that like now that Sony and like Disney are in bed together, they are going to integrate their their universes. Like so that's the thing. Tom like, Holland like, and 
the guy who played Venom, like they're going to be in a movie together at some point. Yeah, that's it's it's. A, I don't know oh when. God. Obviously, with everything going on in the world with like COVID, it's Shoot anyone's guess as to when. But like, but like, no, that is the thing though. Now, because like now, like Hasbro's actually making like toys and stuff from like the Sony properties. Like we're getting like into the Spider Verse toys. We're getting Tom Hardy Venom stuff. Okay. Um, like there, the rumor is that for Spider Man three, you are going to get Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, Kirsten oh Dunst, Emma God. Stone. You you are gonna get like yes they are integrating all like well, now they're they're now that like like Thanos is over their next new gimmick is multiverse uh-huh. so you are like like I don't think you're get like a straight up like Spider Man versus Tom Hardy I think you're going to like see these things kind of like interweave like you're you're never gonna get just straight up like Tony Stark versus uh, Guy Pierce you're never getting that again you're, everything's gonna interweave it's gonna be like Thor Ragnarok where like Thor will show up I'm sorry you know, Doctor Strange throws up in Thor Ragnarok. It's gonna be that, like Black. I think I already told you, Rob. Like Black Widow, the whole thing, like like the big twist of that movie is that it's gonna end, and it's gonna be it's gonna be Tony Stark showing up, and it's gonna be like, yeah, it's, it's like, oh, I miss Steve too. And it's gonna be Steve's the one who did the I am Iron Man moment, not Iron Man, and that's gonna be your thing where it's like, uh-oh, what's Marvel yeah. is to me as Ozymandias is to the assassin he hires. Marvel is holding me down saying, don't kill yourself while physically putting the cyanide pill in my mouth. These, these things make me want to die, Zach. <laughs> so Steve's going to be doing the I Am Iron Man thing? Uh, that's, that's the alleged. Nobody yeah, knows what, for the, certain. Well, yeah, no one knows for sure, but the whole consensus is that the entire Marvel Universe is going to become the what-if multiverse. Because that's – and that's the reason – thing. like that's the issue though is that like Black Widow is supposed to come out in May and that was supposed to be like your first big tease of like, oh man, like what's – like that's the beginning of phase four. And then like Eternals was going to come out in November and be completely like off in its own corner and not really touch this at all, kind of like the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Then you were going to have like Wanda – then you were going to have I think what was it? Uh, the falcon and silver arm and that was going to tie into like black widow and then you're going to have wandavision where wandavision was going to be like the splitting apart of the universe and then it was going to be doctor strange in may of 2021 that was going to be doctor strange in the multiverse of madness then it was going to be that that july was going to be spider-man 3 where they resolve all of that and that so was I am that was the original fucking plan. furious that I have to listen to this now, and I'm gonna have to listen to it again when I edit this episode. This is making me <laughs> angry. Just so stop. I, isn't isn't Wandavision just like Pleasantville, the TV series? Isn't half of it in black and white? Yeah, I don't know. Wandavision starts like in like like a week. It, it looks weird. It, it looks, looks kind of I mean, weird. From the one commercial I've seen, it look it reminded me of Pleasantville. They're, they're, that's what they're going for, though. Like, it's the first time. It's the first Marvel TV series, like Marvel proper. It's not like that low, like low rent stuff on ABC and Netflix. So Toby so, Maguire is going to show up, is what we're saying with Pleasantville. <laughs> we can only hope. We can only hope. Oh my god! Now I'm, I, I don't know. I didn't know this conversation was going to make me appreciate Wonder Woman more. <laughs> it had Wonder no Woman. connection to the rest of a universe. <laughs> Wonder Woman. Oh my god. I hate it. I, how do we, let's get, okay, I'm sorry with the Disney hats on. We should never have put the Disney hats on. <laughs> the Dis, remember, folks, Dis, I don't care how much you love these characters, man. Disney is literally the most dangerous corporation because nobody, like, they are the clue of franchise filmmaking. They're very narrow minded. 
They don't care about anything other than internal like benchmarks. We're gonna, That's all that they we, care about. The more Disney gets me angry, the more I'm going to demand we do Escape from Tomorrow on the podcast. Because that I still movie have never seen that. That movie's great, and I, I for our audience and for Ben because I don't think I've ever talked about it. Ben, it's a movie that is filmed illegally, in a, illegally shot. Yes, it is gorilla filmed in a Disney theme park. About, like, how a man goes crazy when he brings his family to Disneyland or World or one of them. And it's awesome. Like, it's literally, like, one of my favorite stories about that is that they had to keep – there's a scene in that movie where the guy's, like, losing his mind and getting sick. And he has to vomit on the It's a Small World ride. So they had to just do multiple takes where he would have to get on the Small World ride and vomit. And they, like, kept getting kicked out. And, like, the whole thing is filmed on iPhones, and the whole thing is filmed on, like, their scripts are on their iPhones because you're if you don't get a permit, you can't film in Disneyland. Or I don't even think you can film in Disneyland ever, if you, even if you have a permit, you know? <laughs> but it is, is it... basically, like, Disneyland is not a family place. It'll make you go fucking crazy. And I love that movie. There's this whole, the whole, remember the whole story, Zach? It's, like, edited in fucking South Korea to avoid copyright laws and stuff like that. Like, it's insane. We got to uh, talk about that. <laughs> I I mean I'm intrigued. Is I, it's it a, like I've seen it, it once when Zach told me about it, and I loved it. Like I thought okay. it was a great like you want to watch somebody lose their mind in the quote unquote happiest place on earth. It does that perfectly. Okay, I mean I'm down to watch it. Yeah, Zach, you and your Disney. <laughs> oh my god, I'm afraid, I actually, I'm afraid of them. I give them all my discretionary income. <laughs> So, I actually uh, just purchased the year-long membership at Disney Plus because oh. I, I was Cue the I was, Imperial March here. <laughs> I was going to rent the Tron movies, um, and then I and then I was like, I it's really just the same as like paying for a month at Disney Plus. And then my uh, future father-in-law has been wanting Disney Plus, so when I looked at it, I was like, ah, fuck it, I'll just split the membership with him, and nice. we'll do the nice. year. Um, there's some good yeah, so stuff I, on Disney Plus I have to say like uh, don't watch any Star Wars things Zach will disagree with me but like old school late 90s Disney Channel original movies are on there which are very it's fun it's Johnny Tsunami on there Johnny Tsunami the is on there uh, I, I recently watched Don't Look Under the Bed which was from oh. 1999 which I had no memory of until I found it on there um, no Disney Plus is not terrible as i thought it was going to be if that's a shining rob endorsement if there ever was one it's not as bad as i was expecting <laughs> it ain't no it ain't no hbo max i also have hbo max hbo max is great that's where i watch a lot of my uh miyazaki movies so zach knows every night it's like oh i'm gonna about to go to bed let's put on spirited away again <laughs> 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 oh streaming what a world what a world so I, I guess with all that being said, were there any other scenes or anything we wanted to talk about with Tron and Tron Legacy? I mean, I guess before that, Zach, throw it over to you. Was there anything that you wanted to say about the original Tron? Because you've been, you know, laying at the feet of Tron Legacy this whole discussion, it seems. Was there anything you wanted to talk about with the uh, the technological achievement that is 1982's well, Tron? Well, OG, OG Tron is just fascinating because it is. It's more like there's like, – think about it. Like they say that in the do- documentary – in that, like, there'll never be another film done like this because it's just too complex and just too much of a hassle to ever do something like this ever again. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's, it's weird to think that, like, one of the most experimental 
films of the 80s is it was big budgeted and came from the Walt Disney Company. It's it's just it's it's fascinating in that sense on again, it's weird. Like even like a couple points where like where they're walking through and you see some of the other programs and they're wearing these really far out there costumes relative to what the main characters are wearing. And you're like, that's just like that's just gnarly, man. And I really don't have much to say about it. Like even how the first movie kind of just it ends abruptly. Like Kevin Smith gets literally a transcript of what he's been looking for. <laughs> and next thing you know, there's a helicopter landing on the building and it's over. And it's like, okay, then that was I, hilarious. I'm... The proof in quotes that uh, Jeff Bridges gets that Dillinger stole the program is basically just saying, yep, he stole it. <laughs> <laughs> like he could have typed it himself. <laughs> Oh god! I, I yes. do have to mention in that other in the original Tron, I did really like when um, they're on the Solar Sailor and Jeff Bridges like creates the junction for the Solar Sailor to switch beams and then gets exhausted. That is Neo using the EMP in the real world at the end of the second Matrix movie. Like it's the same thing. Like he does something that he shouldn't be able to do and then gets exhausted from it. And I'm just like, God damn it, Wachowskis. Someone had to fall on their sword first, and it was Disney. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Um, yeah, like, no, that first Tron movie, like, again, I think the most, again, I think Tron Legacy is the masterpiece, relatively speaking. Sure. Um, I, like I said, going back to what I was saying before, I think it's fascinating what elements they cherry-picked from the first movie. Again, the, like, the fact that Cindy Morgan's Yori is not in it is such a big part of well, that we, first film. I think, Ben, I, I, I know I watched the documentary. I'm sure Zach did. Ben, did you watch the documentary on the first Tron? I, I watched as much of it as I could. <laughs> Did you get to the part where they discuss that Cindy Morgan stepped in a radioactive contaminated area on one of the sets? No. Okay, so this apparently happened that when they were filming at these labs in California or whatever, next to that big door that we mentioned, there was a roped-off area, and they were like, no one should go here because we spilled radioactive material. And Cindy Morgan apparently didn't care about this and walked through the radioactive area and had to get decontaminated. So, Zach, oh. that's why she's not in the second movie. She's dead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, before I watched the documentary, I read that on IMDb, and I was like, this is the stupidest IMDb fact I've ever heard. But apparently it actually happened. <laughs> It did. It's one of those stories that most people talk about when it comes to the original And Tron's in the production. documentary, Cindy Morgan reveals how uncultured or unknowledgeable she is on this because she doesn't call it radioactive. She's like, I stepped in the nuclear zone and I had yeah. to get unnuclearized. And it's oh, like God. the other people talking about it were like, yeah, it was radioactive and we had to stay away from the radioactivity. And it's like, that's how you describe that. <laughs> yep. Yep. When we're entering... There's this huge, thick door. Now that is a big door. Yeah. That was done at night, and right next to where we were shooting, they had roped off and said some some radio, radioactive spillage had happened. There were signs warning, don't cross this rope. And I go, that's just that rope? It's going to stop? That's, you know, we're walking. The guys are dragging cables around the area. I said, how do we know it didn't drip over this way? There was a roped-off area. I remember, and as usual, I paid no attention to it. And when I needed my makeup touched up, so I was on my way over to get that done. And I just stepped into the roped-off area, and everybody around went, Stop! And I had stepped into what apparently was a live nuclear little area. <laughs> 
And I had to stand very still until my shoe was professionally denuclearized. So yeah. I, I definitely want to say that in, in terms of like all movie history, as far as I know, sequels typically are not as good as originals. That did not happen here. <laughs> the sequel had a, uh, a more advanced storyline. Yeah. I mean, obviously the technology was better, but that didn't set me off too much for, for the old movie. It was like, it was a, it was just a really straightforward, like somebody did something bad. There's a dictator type scenario going on and we got to resist it. That's, a, really that's a good point. I, I think clearly Zach, we know where Zach stands. He likes the second one better. I think I'm with you. The second one is much more of an intriguing film than the first one. The first one I think I hold more respect for because it is a giant leap forward in filmmaking technology and CGI. And this the documentary, that whole – I'm assuming Ben did not get here, but the last third of the documentary, which is about all the different frame elements they had to create and layer them together to make the look of that movie. That's where I appreciate Tron more than anything. I think that behind-the-scenes documentary might be better than the actual film. I probably would agree. <laughs> I love that documentary. There is, there's a weird part in the documentary where Jeff Bridges like puts on the Tron helmet, and he yep, starts yep. saying something like, whenever <laughs> yep. I put this helmet on, I can't get too close to a computer because it might suck me in. And I'm like, how much weed did you smoke before this interview, Jeff Bridges? <laughs> Jeff was Kevin Flynn. Kevin Flynn was Jeff Bridges. I mean, there was no, um, no delineation. Some people don't know this, but this, this is a every is one day a week where I, uh, I wear this, this helmet all day long, and it seems to bring peace to me. And um, I can't get too close to uh, a computer when I have this hat on because there's a sort of a magnetic pull into the computer so i have to stay away from them oh my god what's something that happens in that behind the scenes documentary i'm trying to think it's like oh god um because they even show some behind the scenes stuff for like what tron 2 was gonna look like at the end they're like this is oh, like yeah. some like product they show like some concept art and it's like okay that's interesting um yeah like it's just like again the behind the scenes story to tron is just to me more interesting than probably anything else because that's just it's again it was i I guess what it comes down to is like i love tron legacy i respect tron yeah i i think i would agree with that i don't know about well no i think honestly i do kind of love tron legacy it's a it has a special place in my heart even though i hated some elements of it like i talked about michael sheen olivia wilde cliche tropes in the script it's a good movie it's a good movie, which I'm very surprised that I thought that. So I, I actually have to say, you know, we've talked about cliches in the movie, but I think Watsky says it best. Um, if stereotypes are formed on a grain of truth, cliches are formed on a boulder. Like cliches exist for a reason. Absolutely, absolutely. And when it comes to stories, like I mean, you know, there's the there's the hero's journey. There's like various, uh, you know, a couple different ones in terms of love, like woman redeems beast type of stories like there's only a few stories that ever get told because they're the only ones we care about and it's not that surprising to me that you know any movie that's that i like at all is probably chock full of cliches no that that's a good point i mean we've been talking a lot about how these movies influenced and are influenced by the matrix and the first matrix is the hero's journey you know yeah it's that's just the way it is like that humans want to hear about spectacular humans doing going out into the unknown and conquering it and bringing back food more or less 
<laughs> so, so that's you know, it, it's we, we want to see turning chaos into order. Like that's what we like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I guess I I don't have a problem with cliches in movies. If I did, I would never watch movies. I think. Um, I did want to mention because Zach busted out his Tron toys. I don't have a Tron toy, but last year Uh-oh. when Uh-oh. I was in New York Uh-oh. to see Zach, he gave Uh-oh. me a Kingdom Hearts toy that he said came with his Tron figure. Was that the case? Am I remembering this correctly, that you got Tron and the Heartless that you gave me? Yes, Rob. Okay, so here's my... here's my. Are you going to show us the Tron Kingdom Hearts toy? <laughs> yeah, that, that looks like Tron from Kingdom Hearts 2. I have no problem with that. But apparently, from the toys that gave me, Tron was packaged with a Soldier Heartless. And it's right across the room. I have it in front of my TV. I won't get up and hold it to the camera because the audience can't see it. Zach is, like, literally just showing us this action figure nonstop. But I didn't think of this when you gave this toy to me. I was just like, oh, Zach, thank you. This is great. I love Kingdom Hearts, you know, memorabilia, all that stuff. The Soldier Heartless does not appear in Tron World in Kingdom Hearts 2. So they packaged a Heartless that doesn't appear next to Tron in the merchandising. And I had to bring that up because I'm very upset about that. That they should have had one of the Tron Space Paranoids world enemies with Tron, not the most common Heartless from, like, the first game. So, Zach, I blame Disney. You say all this as if they care. They do. I'm, I think the audience is going to comment on this episode and go, Rob, we really wanted you to talk more about Kingdom Hearts lore between 2 and Dream Drop Distance. Do you really think that's going to happen, Rob? 100%. 100%? I think, I think we're going to get Patreon subscribers that go, Rob, can you and Ben just talk about Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> <laughs> ben, did you play any anything past Kingdom Hearts 1? I know you played 1. I I did not. Okay. Uh, I think I played like the, the intro to Kingdom Hearts Two, where you play as Roxas. Ah, the three-hour tutorial. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I don't think I got past that. Okay. Okay. So. so so yeah, with all that out of the way, are there any other final thoughts we have on Tron Tron Legacy uh, before we get into our questions? I think I'm ready for questions. I mean, I, other than saying that. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I kind of already said it. Tron Legacy had a more developed story. Original Tron, bad guy does something. Tron Legacy fucking got to save the world from stagnation. <laughs> no, you had a, you had a good at. take on it for sure. And I'm, I'm sure Zach appreciates that take. Um, I, I can only imagine if we had, like, Justin on this episode, he would have been like, I saw 15 minutes and I fell asleep. It was bad. <laughs> So I'm sure Zach is appreciative for the takes you've given, Ben. But, Zach, any final thoughts on the Trons? Um, I guess now that we've done this for the movies that should have changed the world, if another Tron movie comes out, we'll have to cover it, right? Oh, damn straight. Damn straight we will. <laughs> but I guess my final question questions are, A, why was Tron barely in Tron Legacy? And, two, if we get Tron 3, will Tron actually be in the movie? No, definitely no to Tron in the movie. And um, two does not come after A. That's a tough... I, that's a t- I like that. That's a tough question, though. Like I said at some point in this conversation, it seems like they forgot that Tron needed to be in Tron Legacy. If we had another Tron movie, for, based on what you said when I asked you about the sequels, that you know we have the end of the Kevin Flynn thing, 
I don't know if we get Tron. I think we would get something like a Tron 2 that Sam develops. You know, they, oh. they would try and relate Tron, but it wouldn't be the same Tron, if that makes sense. Sure. I just I just want Bruce Boxleitner. I, I don't care. I just want some, I want the character of Tron. I don't care if it's Bruce Boxleitner or not. Yeah, I just you can want go watch that Passion that. movie, man. <laughs> Tron's all over that. <laughs> It's just not the same. He needs, he, need, he needs a light disc. <laughs> oh, well, well how, did, how did we also not mention, um, when we talk about Tron, Zach, we've talked about Tron before from Chappelle's show, the Tron yep. special, which is what I think a banana, some strawberries, some other fruit, and a blunt in a juicer. That's the Tron yes. special from the the Mad Mad Real World uh, sketch from the first season. <laughs> Why would you put a blunt in a juicer? It's like you need to heat activate. If there's anybody that could do it, it would be Tron, played by Dave Chappelle in that sketch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's on our menu from the Chappelle Show episode, Zach. We have the Tron special. It would not surprise me. Bring me some juice, bitch. <laughs> And some banana cognac. D- Tron also has the best line from that sketch where at the end when the the white dude is leaving the house and his girlfriend doesn't want to leave with him. And it's like, you know, it's like, you had sex with Tron. You had sex with Tyree. I didn't have sex with Katie. No, Tyree, you did have sex with me. Correction. Correction. I did have sex with Katie. <laughs> That's such cool. a good sketch. Oh, Chappelle's show. But yeah, how could we not talk about Dave Chappelle as Tron? From Chappelle's show. We had to bring that up. <laughs> Look at me and Marvel. I'm making juice. <laughs> I call this a Tron special. Oh, yeah. This right here is a wood shit. It's better if, uh, if... Get out of my face, nigga. I'm making juice. All right? Fine, fine. You make your juice. I, I don't know. Had to. So I think before we get to our questions, I wanted to ask, um, should should Tron be used more as, like, you know, the start of common words? Like, when I – let me put this in perspective. Like, you know, we have things like a, a transformation. What about a transformation? A transceiver. What about a transceiver? You know what I'm saying, Ben? I think Ben – Ben's liking this. Ben looks confused, but I think he's liking it. You know, could you be like a, a transgender? Is That's that what I was about to say. Enough? Zach, do you like Tron so much that you're going to go into the grid and that would be your transition? I I, I like it. I could definitely warm up to <laughs> you, the idea. You could be a, a Tron a trans man or a trans woman. <laughs> I. I'm on board. As long as I get a light disc, that's all that matters. Zach, if you ever cosplayed as a Tron character, could we call you a transvestite? <laughs> you already made that joke, Rob. You gotta get to the new material. No, transgender and transvestite are different things. Zach. That's get, very true. Get woke, but Zach. It's, okay? But it's the same thing, though. But it's a you're getting to the, the you're boiling down to the same essence. Zach, Ben and I go there different things, and Zach's response is, but they're the same thing. <laughs> Well, well, Zach, I'm sorry if I have offended you. Uh, excuse my I'm transgression. Somebody, some. <laughs> <Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba>. <laughs> what else we got? Um, oh, Ben, do we want to talk at all about transcendental equations? <laughs> <laughs> are you are you transfixed on these things, or Zach is transfixed on these movies? Maybe Zach could transcribe the scripts for us. Oh God, now I'm on a roll. Now I'm on is a it? fucking roll. 
Um, Has this been translated into any other languages? <laughs> can, can you tell us about the property of transitivity? Uh, <laughs> Rob, Rob, you're falling into blank Czechville right now. Uh, I know I am, but I'm loving it. I'm on a roll. Uh, maybe to slow me down, I should take a tranquilizer. I uh, I can't shift right now because my transmission is damaged. <laughs> I tried to get a flight back home from the grid, but my tickets were non-transferable. <laughs> I'm running out of I'm running out of word. Oh, what else we got? I'm down. I'm getting deep down in the tranches. Okay, that one's a bit of a reach. What? Because it's the first TRE instead of TRA I've done. Um. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I would stick around, but I like to be transient. <laughs> Boo. Boo. <laughs> this is, this is the furthest thing from a moment of tranquility Zach's ever felt. <laughs> oh, that's good. I want to know that while they're doing this, I'm literally eBaying Tron action figures. I'm just looking at toys. They can do this all they want. Oh, I'm oh because, because Zach wants to make a transaction between currency and action figures. <laughs> oh, my God. Zach, keep talking. You're getting the juices flowing. <laughs> Zach, if you find something good, let me know, and I'll transfer you some money. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, can you can you get transistors on eBay or transceivers? <laughs> I play the fifth. Translucent. I don't even have sentences for him now. I'm just thinking of words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That was a, that was a good segment. That's uh, that's what everybody's tuning into for. <laughs> that's that's the special clip. To yes. yeah. um, we'll combine that with the Olivia Wilde thing. It'll be a good, like a forty second clip of just nonsense. <laughs> and then the the caps. This is why this is where we talk about the things, movie. Folks. <laughs> This is why we can't have nice things, folks. Okay, so that brings us to our questions, and I have to throw it over to Zach, as I often do, or always do, for our double features. Zach, are we answering our questions as a double feature, as individuals? What do you think for Tron and Tron Legacy? Uh, let's separate them. Okay. Or, no, uh, I don't, you know, the thing is, I, let's see what happens, and we'll take it from there. <laughs> I, let's see well, separate well, I have answers for all, for both of them, so, I mean... <laughs> Should I start? <laughs> okay. I was... so, All right, I'll go first. So I, I don't know. I figured you guys are st still sitting there on your kick about the prefix of Tran and Tron. I think I ran out. Um, oh, oh, no, no. Okay, now, Zach, who plays Rose in The Last Jedi? <sighs> Kelly Marie Tron. <laughs> I, so this, this one's a bit more of a stretch. But, uh... Really? <laughs> was it... Now we're going to start oh, giving you oh. cut. Hold on. Furious typing. <laughs> Who did the score for the new Wonder Woman movie? Tron Zimmer. <laughs> <sighs> now, These are now all you just opened a can of worms, Ben. Cinemati <laughs> 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 and both a late night movie to both. Moving on. Bye, everybody. Cinemati's <laughs> Patreon. Check it out. Zach's out. No, I, I think uh, I'm going to go Cinemodity. I'm going to go yes for the original Tron. I think just because of that technological achievement. 
I was really leaning towards no for Tron Legacy. I think there's some good stuff there, but nothing really pushed it over the edge for me in something that was like a like a, a true cinemodity. But I, I do have to say, I'm going to go yes for both for late night. I think these would be good fun. If you have someone that won't just immediately fall asleep at the boring pace of the first Tron, it's interesting to watch. But the second one, I think, is a shoe-in, for sure. So I'm going yes, no, yes, yes. That's my grid of Trons. <laughs> That's my grid of answers. <laughs> <laughs> um right on so i i, I definitely I, I hate having to agree with you but i i do uh <laughs> the first one is is definitely odd uh it's, it's odd in that they didn't like more movies like it weren't really made because of how difficult it was to make like it's it's odd and in, in a bunch of different aspects second one kind of general sci-fi spirit of the times kind of stuff um not too odd Late night. I might have to disagree a little here. I definitely, Tron Legacy, I'll give it the yes. Okay. Show that to anybody. Um, classic Tron, maybe maybe know your audience. Mm, yeah, that's that's probably a good way to put it. Like, you need to, I don't know, if someone's just watching it and they're not really, like, thinking about the effects of it, I, I mean, I guess that's the bane of a lot of older movies, you know? It's like, like you see something like the original Tron, and if you're... I guess maybe uncultured or you're a casual as, as we sometimes say, you're going to be like, this looks terrible. Like I'm things in the last five years look better. And it's like, well, of fucking course they look better in the last five years. <laughs> so yeah, I could get behind the, the know your audience with that for sure. Um, I guess Zach, if you have nothing else to comment on Ben and I's thoughts, uh, we get to snacks and I have to say, I once again, I um, you know, I, I really focused in on just watching Tron Legacy, so I don't have too many snacks from that. Um, but for the first movie, I would really like in the Cinemati's restaurant, we have a light cycle course with real-world consequences. Like, you die when you run into those light cycle, you know, trails, those ribbons and stuff. Like, I, I want it to be, like, the more uh, immersive experience of our Terminator uh, laser tag course. Like I want it to actually be like if you mess up on the on the light cycle, you are you are dead, or maybe severely injured. <laughs> we I think we need a, a river of power, that so everybody can be a user of okay. drugs because that was very clearly a drugs thing in that in that scene. That's definitely the vibe I got. Uh, but when I say river of power, I probably just mean exposed hot voltage wires. Oh, that's a good call, Ben. I'm pretty sure we already have that. Not because we've chosen to have that, but just from the architecture of the restaurant now just put up a sign and it's on purpose now nice nice another snack that i had from the first movie that i don't really remember where it came from i just wrote popcorn that no one else can have because fuck sharing popcorn with anyone Oh yeah, Alan Bradley's. That's at the very beginning with Alan Bradley in his office, and he gets like shut out, and the guy next to his cubicle is like, "I need your." Oh yes, that's right. Can I have some of your popcorn? Okay, okay, but yeah, I want popcorn nobody else can have. (laughs) 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 Who isn't there? Isn't there some famous person in like the industry that does that? Like he eats popcorn just by himself in meetings. I can't remember where I heard that story. (laughs) That sounds great. It's like one of the. It's like one of those big like Jack heads Dorsey. Of, maybe I don't know. I don't remember. Like one of those big, like a head of a studio or of like our showrunner for a really popular show. And it's like you'd hear stories where like people go into his office and he'll make he'll like have a full popcorn machine, make popcorn, take out a bowl, fill 
the bowl with popcorn and then just sit down at his desk like hugging the bowl of popcorn and like not <laughs> offer it to anybody. I feel like I've heard that somewhere. Oh That's god. Great. I don't even know what to search to find that like popcorn hogs in the in the, in the world. <laughs> but but so those are my two for the original Tron. I have one for the other Tron, but um I want to throw it over to you guys. What did you have for these movies? Popcorn hogs makes me think we need some like bacon flavored popcorn or like <laughs> coat it in pig fat and then fry it. Like, coat it. So like like a pork rind popcorn mashup. Type I would of thing. eat the shit out of that. That sounds great. That's, a, that's popcorn hogs. I would eat that. I, speaking of speaking of popcorn, Zach's not going to care about this, but Ben, somebody <laughs> sent great. me a popcorn factory tin. Did I mention yeah. this? Did you take out the cardboard divider and shake it? I was so tempted to. <laughs> I was so tempted to take out the divider and just shake the shit out of it to mix the butter, caramel, and cheese popcorn together. Uh, Zach, that is from Body Swap, Jimmy Custis. There's a joke about oh, that. Okay. And I literally, in our episode, I think I say to Jimmy Custis, this is the most absurd thing I've ever heard anyone say, that they would mix up a popcorn tin. <laughs> like that, I think I even go for, I'm like, Jimmy, this is psychopath shit right here. <laughs> like, you're going to murder people if you do this. <laughs> okay, Maybe popcorn, Jimmy Custis yeah. is our patron. Oh, that'd be cool. Wouldn't that be a twist? <laughs> <laughs> so, snacks from you guys. What did you have for the restaurant for Tron I want, and Tron Legacy? I want... Okay, you know how they have, like, electrolyte water? I want the electrolyte water river. Okay. I, I was kind of confused in both movies what they were drinking. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that is in the first movie. Clearly, in the second movie, it's some form of a cocktail. Yeah. Um, he, he says, like, something like it's pure power. Like, that's what I was talking about. The, the power, power river. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's like, right. So, I want that. I want. I want a river of like electrify, like elect. It's like electrolyte water, but there's actual current through it. It's like it, there's power in it. <laughs> but a mild current. We don't. We don't want to kill anybody. Not in that way, at least. So drinking the water is like licking a battery. <laughs> a mild battery, maybe like a triple A. A mild battery. <laughs> definitely. It's like least. chewing on a handful of LR14 batteries. <laughs> <laughs> but in liquid form. No, I like that. We need more, um, like, rivers in our restaurant, right? You yeah, know? so we need more bodies of water in the infinite So void. when somebody falls in and drowns, the Oompa Loompas can come out and sing a song for everybody <laughs> about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ben, what did, what did you have for snacks? Anything? Or events, of course. We, we branch out these days. Well, I mean, like I said, the exposed, uh, the exposed wires. Yeah, that's a good um, one. I like that. Put it right in the kids section too. Absolutely. I mean, we can mix the two ideas. Like, we can just have an exposed wire underneath the water for for Zach's thing. Just <laughs> yeah, the power. We say, we'll say we can save room in the infinite void. Just because it's infinite doesn't mean we shouldn't be practical with it. That's I right. like that. I like that's that. Right. <laughs> efficiency, maximum efficiency. Um, we can have like an imperfection detector where people go in and. If we detect any imperfections, we kill them. <laughs> I would I like love that. to see the code of the of the program that detects it. It's like, what do we define as an imperfection? Uh, it's 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 really simple. It's just return true. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody dies. <laughs> I like that commentary for sure. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the light cycle races are great. Like, I, I like the light cycle ship things. If we could make that happen, uh, we we could have them, like, 
over the light cycle races. Sure. So you have the ships and, and the and the cycles, and the ships can come down and try to kill the cycles, and the cycles are all like they have to ramp to get to the ships. Okay. Be a good time. Yeah, make it make it very um you know make it three dimensional. Exactly. Probably. Yeah, yeah. I would I could dig that for sure. Zach, did you have any others for the restaurant? I think have we ever thought about the Cinemani's point of sale system and the computers? I think I we don't should even have know our... if we had computers other than the word processor of the gods, Zach. I thought we were okay, doing then. it by hand. <laughs> there you go. We have our abacus at home to balance our checkbook. Oh <laughs> uh, no, I mean so when you say that like a, like our I think we should install the Tron program in the word processor of the gods. So it can stop unwanted connections? Isn't that the what the yes. Tron program does? Yes. Well, now, when you say that, I'm thinking, like, one of us is going to have to go in, like, every month to check things out. Or maybe not every month, but some regular basis. And, like, Clue is going to pop up and be like, am I, I still the accountant for the perfect system? And I'm going to be like, yeah. fuck no. Absolutely not. We're going back to paper. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Okay, no, I like that. I think the last one I had was from Tron Legacy. I think when Clue shows up to um, uh, old Jeff Bridges' apartment, whatever the hell that is, he, like, finds a bowl of chrome apples. Yes. Just want some chrome apples, like, not edible. Can I ask real quick in Tron Legacy, what is it they're eating at the dinner table? Oh, I tried to look at that, but I was baffled by the fact that Olivia Wilde was eating and she was a program. I was like, <laughs> isn't this just a waste of food? Like, does she really need to eat? Because if if he's calling his ISO why programs anybody, the miracle. Why, isn't any, why is anybody eating in the movie? Miracles don't need to eat. Movie? That's my point. <laughs> the, wait, there's blood in the movie? The only blood I remember is actually from Sam Flynn. Yeah, he's in he's in Tron World. And like, that's, he's in the grid. That's how Rensler. I know, but like, why is there? Like, it's just weird that like you can actually like the light. Like, I don't know. I just found it weird that like. (laughs) So you're telling me that in Tron Legacy, if Sam Flynn wasn't good, one of those light discs would have literally bisected them and be a pile of nuts on the floor. Yeah, wouldn't have shattered. I mean, he he was like molecule for molecule copied with via some light ray thing, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, why not? He's got to be full of liquid. I mean, I don't know if the physics would work the same way, but. But that's what I mean, though, is that like so you're telling me that if he like he missed a sh- like a block, he would have just been like like literally like lawnmowered in half. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's like a panoramic picture. Like he moved while he was being shot into the universe, and it fucked up one of his arms or something. <laughs> now that would be a good attraction. We let kids throw razor discs at people. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in sin emodities. You can have like dodgeball what, razor discs. What was what was that? What was who was the henchman in the James Bond movie who has the hat with like the razor edge? Odd, odd job. job, yeah. Odd job. That's what he it did, is. Same logic. Just get rid of like. I like that. Do Do you guys remember what the odd job parody was called in the Austin Powers movie? Hand job or something. Random task. <laughs> I love that. And he doesn't throw his hat. He throws his shoe. And there's a great scene where this dude whips the shoe and it hits Austin Powers in the face. And he goes, who throws the shoe? (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. That's why those movies are great. You got odd job becomes random tasks. Fantastic. (laughs) Okay. Oh, we have fun over here on Cinemonies. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, 
So I think that was all the snacks I had. Any other restaurant uh, things, inspirations, complaints, Yelp reviews? I think we're actually going to finish in time for me to go catch a showing of Promising Young. Ah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Or whatever. Um, So so. I I guess that, uh, Zach, would you want to give any indication of what we're doing next week in the movies that should have changed the world? Here he comes. Here comes Speed Racer. He's a demon on wheels. I I'm forget very, the rest of the lyrics. I am very excited to talk about Speed Racer. I think this is the first actual movie we're discussing that I truly am on board with Zach that this should have changed the world. Like, Starship Troopers, don't get me wrong, we had this discussion. Tron and Tron Legacy, I think I made that idea of how it influenced other things. But, like, Speed Racer is the definition of something that was ahead of its time. And I cannot wait to talk about it. Um, just so you two know, we should have Ben and Zach back for this uh, next week's episode. There is going to be a Speed Racer song that I send you that you will have to listen to before we record the episode. So that's your that's going to be your homework. It's not very long. I think it's like oh, three God. and a half minutes long. But it is. Oh my God! Oh. <laughs> that was a great reaction, Zach. Oh my God! Holy fuck! <laughs> Five minutes? What the <laughs> but yes, Speed Racer, I'm very excited for. And I think the only question we have left is how do we end this episode? And. By Daft Punk. Well, I'm glad you said that because I knew either you Wendy or Zach Carlos. would say that. Wendy Carlos. My note was literally I don't care what we play in reverse as long as it isn't anything by Daft Punk. <laughs> <laughs> If you picked the right Daft Punk sound, it wouldn't even sound different, right? I know, exactly. Because <laughs> it's tones. There's no inflection, it's just tones. <laughs> yeah, you gotta be stronger, that way there's words. Words are uh, what did you? What did you say, Zach? Wendy Carlos? Yeah. I could I could get behind that, that's fine. I mean, you we'll know, I'll take... We'll play the Shining, we'll play the, we'll, we'll play the Shining theme. Wah, 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 Oh, yeah. I'll figure something out, I'm sure. If anything, it'll be, uh... Maybe I'll take the part of me saying I don't like Daft Punk and play that in reverse. (laughs) (laughs) Over Daft Punk? Oh, God, Daft Punk. French people. Fuck French people! Okay! Good talk, everybody. Tron and Tron Legacy, we did a double feature, and I'll see you all next week for the movie that truly should have changed the world. I think, Zach, I think Zach is literally slamming an action figure into the microphone from what it sounded like. <laughs> yeah, All right. He never you says like, that in the movie. You like bikes? He never says that in the movie. Yeah, I like dags. <laughs>